Hi, hello, welcome to that time of the year again, the phenomenon known as Game of the Year. A handful of us here at the RPG site staff have gathered around, and as we all do every year, we talk about the biggest, the best the RPGs that came out this year. Uh, I'm your host, Josh Torres. Joining me for this momentous occasion once again is, of course, Alex Donaldson. Hello, everyone. Hello. Back again. Another year in the books. <laughs> uh-huh. And end of a generation, one might say. Uh, yeah, it's pretty much done. Yeah. Can't believe it. Uh, also joining us for, for this game of the year is Adam Vitali. Hi. It's been a while. Also joining us is Brian Vitali. Hello, everyone. Joining us once again is James Galizio. Hello. And a new member of the site, give a warm welcome to George Foster. Hello, everyone. Uh, nice to be here. You're in for a ride, my friend. So how we're going to do it uh, this year is a lot like last year. Uh, last year, we kind of shifted the way we categorize things. It's less category-based, where we section it off as like, you know, best like multi-platform game or best music and whatnot. Uh, just like last year, we're gonna make it a more streamlined because every, you know, as the gaming industry moves forward, everything is kind of meshing together. It's harder to tell, you know, what's strictly indie, and of course, we, platform exclusives, you know, here and are, are still here and there, but mostly everyone's kind of coming together. So for this year, we'll uh, of course do our ranked top ten list. But on top of that, we'll also have commendations, which are you know a little bit like the spiritual sequel to our categories. We'll have commendations for storytelling, commendations for music, commendations for design and immersion, commendations for art, commendations for ongoing support. And of course, since we're not strictly just an RPG site, we also covered things like you know uh, some visual novels or some of the more like action adventure side. Like we'll cover things like Danganronpa and whatnot. You know, because, you know, we, a large part of us at the staff, like, have a passion for those. So we want to give a special shout out to those with our commendation for a non-RPG category. Or commendation, rather, than a category. But yeah, we're just going to run a, uh, run down it. We have a massive list to run down with these. And we're gonna just going to talk about each one, see if they deserve a spot on the top 10 or not, or if they fit in a commendation somewhere. And we'll just, instead of listing all of these down, like, in one go, we'll just, you know, take it one at a time. Sound good, everyone? That sounds good. So are we, we going to start oh, with the commendation? Um, yeah, why don't we just start, start with commendations, uh, well, you know, because the, the main feature here is our top 10. So, kind of, let's, let's dig down, and let's go... Commendation on writing and storytelling. Uh, this year uh, for RPGs, especially, there were a lot, a lot of like very strong, like displays of just writing and storytelling in general. You know, uh, of course, we're, we we have this you know doc up and whatnot. But if you if you want to add more on the on the doc uh, to our panel here, please feel free. But for at the moment, uh, just our prelim- preliminary list. Our nominees for commendation in writing and storytelling uh, are Disco Elysium, The Outer Worlds, 
Life is Strange 2, and Kingdom Hearts 3. So let's kind of discuss this one by one. First, of course, everyone knows it here, Disco Elysium. This kind of little niche in the RPG out of nowhere is, has been gaining a lot and a lot of support. I mean, I know several of us have played it here. Some have beaten it. Uh, Adam, let's start with you on uh, Disco Elysium. Yeah, so Disco Elysium was, when I was writing down commendations, it was literally the very first commendation I wrote down was writing and storytelling Disco Elysium. Specifically, we have writing and storytelling kind of as kind of one combined group here because they're not exactly the same thing. Um, Disco Elysium's writing is very, very good. When you're uh, playing this game, it almost feels like reading a book. Um, and that, that's how well-written the prose is. Um, there's a lot of descriptive text in how it's describing what the character is thinking, what the character is seeing, as well as the dialogue itself between characters is very well written as well as kind of this meta dialogue between in disco elysium your character's inner thoughts and it's just it's extremely well done it it's very very funny and it seamlessly goes from very uh evocative prose to very silly kind of humorous uh comedic writing and it kind of and it 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 flows very very well and it's like within the first couple of minutes of just the opening the game, I was kind of hooked and I wanted just to keep reading it. And I, I had to come, uh, put it as a nomination for this commendation. I, I guess we should say, I forgot to do this at the top of the show is there will be spoilers on this for this whole podcast for every single game that, that we're, you know, I'm going to put out just a blanket spoiler warning. If you don't want to get spoiled on like any of these games that we're talking about, you know, feel free to come back and uh, listen to these discussions. I don't want to, you know, make you feel like you're being kind of set back because you're trying to hold back spoilers. But kind of, kind of give, um, you know, context to what you're saying because everything you're saying, I to- totally agree with. Is uh, Disco Elysium is kind of seen as the spiritual, you know, successor to Planescape Torment from, you know, way back when, and this kind of uh, taking on that, you know, adventure isometric RPG, classic RPG type style where it's kind of le- less about you know typical progression in rpg you have like levels and ba- like, uh, through battle and, and whatnot it's really about uh like you said very text-based and it kind of gives con- uh context to everything you're doing through you- your thoughts like how the at the very beginning of the game you're kind of building your character based on um just kind of what kind of personality you want them to have kind of what mindset do you want to have and kind of like where where are they coming from do you want them to be a, a little bit more um like say for example you have like this encyclopedia trait yeah and through that encyclopedia trait you can uh learn more about the history and the lore of like things that are around you um meanwhile you have like a more you can have a more intuitive take where it's less about you know thinking about the history of really about perceiving people and whatnot and i think that's a really it, you know, it's it's been done in other ways before in RPGs, but the the way it fleshes out here and how the way it kind of ripples throughout the narrative um, is super impactful. And uh, you know, uh, I think this was it, it was way uh, and above beyond like what I expected. Now, I haven't finished my first playthrough. I've gone several hours into it, but does does anyone want to like jump in on like 
their specific experiences in the game that made them go, wow, like I would have never expected that. I just want to say that it's it's absolutely I think it's absolutely incredible and I think the the interesting thing is you know the game has 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 some great systems and stuff like that but it is really a game that is if if that writing was not as phenomenal as it is it would not be nearly as impactful a game and I think you know um, when you talk about accommodation for something like this I think that's the reason that just to to jump ahead a little bit i think that's the reason that this stands out above perhaps the others that we sort of that we sort of came up with um because it's it's just the whole game rides on the back of it basically i do think like when i saw people sharing text boxes of this which is all you can really share from it there's so many times (laughs) i found myself laughing out loud uh and i'm just like god i have to play this uh, though I do want to say that on this list for writing for commendations, even though Disco is probably the front runner, I do want to give a shout out to um, Fire Emblem, which is uh, not usually a game that you think of for writing storytelling. But I just do think that Three Houses had to invent a world, had to invent, you know, the the, the political landscape that it was set in, including like the, the, the Fodland country it takes place in and then the other countries where other characters are from. I just do think that that's more difficult than maybe it outwardly seems to try to invent all of that. So I do think that I'm, I, I just wanted to give Fire Emblem Three Houses a shout out for for the world building that it does. Yeah, I think it definitely deserves that. And I actually think that to a degree is a conversation about localization as well, right? Like they, the, the team that localized that game did a phenomenal job for the English language version. Yeah, I yes, totally I agree. agree with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. No thinking about it. We should probably have a commendation for best localization too. Well, we've always said that we sort of just count that as part of the writing and storytelling one. Cause you know, cause it, you can get into the weeds a little bit like with, um, you have a category for writing and then a category for voice acting and a category for localization and yada, yada, yada. And in the end, we sort of boiled back from that to just saying, right, let's just say writing and storytelling, which encompasses everything, your localization, the manner in which the story is told, like the style the game tells its story in, you know that includes your voice acting your localization uh, which obviously makes this a harder decision for us but here's the thing i'll say is that when i look at this list so obviously on this list of writing of this writing storytelling commendation we've got disco elysium outer worlds life is strange 2 kingdom hearts 3 and fire emblem three houses now because we've just added that um i don't think we necessarily need to talk in detail go from game to game but i think th- the wider discussion is 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 just if we were going to give the commendation to one of these games, which one would it be? And although I know we haven't had an opportunity to talk about the others yet, and I think there's definitely a conversation to have about uh, the Outer Worlds, there's definitely a conversation to be had about um, about sort of the issues that Life is Strange 2 tackles. And if I'm honest, I'm not really sure why Kingdom Hearts is on the list, but someone can explain that, I'm sure. Um, I think... Oh. For me, Disco Elysium is the one, basically. I still need to play it, but everything I've heard about it and everything I've seen about it, I definitely agree that... I I mean, it's so rare that you see such... What's the best way to put it? It's so rare that you see such, like, resounding agreement over a game's writing and... Disco Elysium, like, I don't think I've really seen anyone that matters at least say that Disco Elysium's writing is bad. 
it's certainly not bad. I have to say, it's definitely not bad. As as a console player who hasn't actually had the chance to play it, I have seen bits of it, and I'd agree that it's definitely a front runner. But I think there is a strong case for the Outer Worlds as well, because the level of wit that is on display in just all of that game is astounding. Like Sidian knocked out of the park with characterization. Yeah, all the companion characters in that game are are phenomenal, and I just think um, what's interesting is they managed to do those companion relationships uh, without having to resort to the love plots because that the love plots are sort of a shortcut to you know you want to talk nice to this character because you want to get the love scene or whatever, and that's obviously been a a staple in these sort of um, Bethesda and Bioware style story driven uh, RPGs. But it's really interesting to me that they felt like they could build those characters without doing that, and they did. Yeah, they don't have that crutch to just say, "All right, here's your incentive to be to be an agreeable person to this person." Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, I saw a lot of backlash towards the fact that there weren't any romance options, but I thought it actually made I for think, a strong. I think a lot of that is uh, is just kind of like precedent. Like all, these games always have that, you know, and so people just don't. They're kind of boiled frogs is that the right saying where they're like yeah. oh, I, I have to expect that now like you, can you make a game without it well they said sure yes you can um but for outer worlds i do think one thing that kind of holds it back a little bit is that it it has a very um it has a through line where it's very kitsch it, or it has this like ironic uh satiric sort of uh flavor to everything to its premise and to its even it's like conflict and if that doesn't jive with you, you're immediately a bit turned off. Or either that's that, true. or you kind of get yeah, that's, of that's it. Yeah, that's true. I want to know more about the Kingdom Hearts 3 choice. Okay. Oh, yeah. Go for it. Um, I think that Obsidian deserves a ton of props for actually having, like, character dialogue from, like, your party members in the background actually be good. Yeah, yeah. I can... I'll, second that completely it's a nice little surprise when you're walking around to actually have them build upon the world in like a non-obvious way like uh, i remember like i I still need to actually finish it but like when i was playing the uh, preview event back in i think august somewhere around there like i remember parvati or yeah i think it's parvati yeah yeah yeah. she was making a comment about this like radio tower and she was like i wonder how they they get the radio waves through the like atmosphere and it's like huh that actually sounds like something that she would ask and it doesn't seem like forced yeah there's a a lot of really neat small details on world building on outer worlds like the obsidian go opting for more smaller scale really uh did wonders for that game fleshing it out even though, even though by the end it felt that I could see the cogs in the machine when it comes to like you know your choices by the end, like it's it still felt like the journey up to there wasn't for naught. It felt like I had a I had a fun time with it. It wasn't like super strong to me by the end. Kind of felt dragged out a little bit for me. But I I really appreciated that they found a way to characterize characterize like your your allies without you know making it feel like you're kind of ro- robotic responses essentially they're, they're, they're commenting on the world around them without necessarily feeling like a, a, a checklist or a, 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 like oh of course they have to say this about themselves that, that's yeah. how i uh yeah that's how i saw it 
yeah, yeah, it's it's it's. I think the one thing it's not so much against it, but the one thing when you look at it in this category, and especially when you look at it when you're thinking about um, when you're thinking about it versus Disco Elysium, is it's sort of exactly what I would have expected from Obsidian. It's just really, really good at that. But it is the same sort of stuff that they've done in Fallout New Vegas and and, and so on. So, you know, there was an expectation there. But I I think a lot of people, when they talk about it again, they talk about the humour. But I think the thing, like I say, for me, that jumps out actually is is how well the companion relationships Mm -hmm. are defined. I think it's kind of, you know, there was that period and there is kind of still is that period when both Disco, Disco Elysium and The Outer Worlds came out, you know, within the same time period. And it, I, I wish they spaced out the release dates for both of these so they can shine their own way because, you know, it it definitely some portion of the discussion uh, around these games was just like directly comparing them. It's like, oh, Disco Elysium is kind of going for it while The Outer Worlds, you know, it's it's a nice foundation, but it, Disco Elysium is going, really reaching more for the in-depth uh, consequences of what you're, of everything that you're doing. While Outer Worlds has that nice, you know, relationship with the with how you interact with your companions and how they interact with you and the world around them, but it, it's not really kind of making your choices matter once you start really digging deep into what you, what kind of consequences you want out of something like in a scope of Fallout and whatnot. So I, I unfortunately, like you know, I think this Elysium is a stronger case in the ter- in the writing and storytelling category than Outer Worlds in that respect. Does anyone have any comments on Life is Strange 2? I have not played it, but I do want to just say that I have, ever since the most recent episode came out, I have seen a lot of praise for it, especially uh, yeah. for the last episode and the way it closes out. On one of the uh, forums I post on, there's this one dude that's really, really like pushing people to play it because he says it's his favorite game of all time. Well, I was talking to Liz a bit, who reviewed the game for our site, and we know it's not really an RPG, but it shares some connective tissue. Um, and basically what her review and what she talks about is is that this game is not trying to be like a well-wrapped like, like story, like a fictional story. It is a fictional story, but it's like it doesn't have like a well-wrapped, well-concluded, happy ending. It's it really is talking about the life of these two Hispanic boys and the, 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 the decisions you make throughout the series not only affect your character, but your, your, your character's younger brother. I, it's Sean and Daniel, I think are the names. I forget which is which, unfortunately. Um, and, uh, there are, I know with the first life is strange, there was a kind of a binary choice ending at the end that some people were really not a fan of, or probably more than just some people, but this game has seven different endings depending on the choices you made throughout the game. And none of them are like the ideal ending from what I understand or like the perfect ending where you made all the right choices. It's just kind of like the, it's talk, It's just showing like the consequence of the world that these two boys are living in and how it's reflective of current state of affairs. And they this this developer is not pulling any punches in terms of the what the 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 character the characterization and the story they're trying to tell um and have it relate to real life like it is a fictional story but it's very 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 much supposed to be uh, a portrait of real things that are happening 
Well, it takes place in America, so it's like that's that's a key thing. And well, I think that's near the end. I think that's it. It's like, if I'm honest, I, I think it, it doesn't necessarily stand up to what we've talked about about why Disco Elysium is impressive, for for many of the same reasons as the Outer Worlds, actually, in the sense that this is a game that's doing all the things that you would expect it to do from the people who brought us the original Life is Strange. But I think the thing that absolutely has to be acknowledged by people like ourselves, and I have played it, um, is that this is a game that actually has something to say and is trying to make important points and make people think about important things. And we need more of that in, in, in the industry, to be honest. Absolutely. I mean, everything I've seen from this game, you know, I'm, I haven't played it myself uh, as well, but it's always nice to see that, you know, when you want to make, of course, when it, when it comes to if our games politics or our games political or not, you know, there'll be uh, a lot of uh, various perspectives on, uh, you know, every side of the conversation on it. But I, I really like games and uh, game developers that aren't shy about, you know, the th- thing that they're making. You know, whenever Ubisoft has to sidestep the question of like, hey, is this game political? Or are you trying to say so? It's like, no, oh, you know, it's kind of left up to the, uh, you know, player's perspective. It's like, oh, come on. You, you, see, you see the content. Political. Even though it <laughs> says, does your, does your neighbor own a gun in the first like five minutes in the cutscene? Like eh, you see the content of the game, and then it's kind of, it's kind of always this hard thing to see that like you have to some PR person or some developer be like ah you know d- d- because of the way things uh, are managed behind the scenes they kind of have to give that answer while you know developers of Life is Strange are just like you know it's very clear cut what the message is it's very clear cut how the how the events that transpired in it you know reflect the the modern era and you know. When you think about it from a legacy standpoint, you know, as many years pass and people see Life is Strange 2, uh, Life is Strange and Life is Strange 2, it's like, this is how things were like back then, you know? This is how, th- this is like, if things get better or not, people will see, will look back, it's like, wow, the, these were the, like, the nightmares that people had to live through. Whether at that point things have like, gotten better or worse, hopefully better, you know, it's always a good, like, reflection point. It's like, what can we learn from this? What can we really take out of this and that's always more impactful to me than 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 a game that's like it tries to dip its its toes into it without really saying much of anything like i I say you know if you if you want to if you want to have say something with a game you should really go for it then don't try to like just acknowledge it and then look the other way it just who does that serve really then yeah they're actually being forward and saying like, we, I have them, this is important to us. This is our message. Either agree mm-hmm. with it or don't, you know, yeah. where, where other games are obviously just abstracted where they're just like, you know, that's not, that's not a key figure here. It's funny. So that reminds me we, of this. We like, talked. Oh, go ahead. Reminds me of this, like one screen cap I've seen going around for Disco Elysium where it's like, gee, all these dialogue choices seem pretty fastest for communists. And then like one of the inner voices is like, screw you, pick one of these fascist or communist options. That's a bit on the nose. A way that game works, if you don't know, is that like usually there's four political um, kind of categories where one's like ultra-liberal, one's fascist, one's something else. And and then then there's also like more silly ones like boring boring cop and, you know, lazy cop. And it's 
the game obviously has certain undertones, like it takes place after a, a failed communist revolution, but also there is role-playing involved. You can play your cop as a jerk, as an empathetic person, as a fascist, as a communist. So, so that's kind of, and it does manage to kind of have interesting dialogue options for, for all of those most of the time. Yeah. I, you could obviously see the, the, the bend the developers are coming from, but uh, it does allow you to do, it, does, it doesn't railroad you into a certain ideology. Well, I want to I wanna emphasize that in Disco Elysium, there are many, many dialogue options that are only available depending on your alignment in various things. So it kind of, what options are available depend on previous things you've said, too. It's all, it's, it's all role-playing. All right, so we've talked about Disco Elysium, Outer Worlds, Life is Strange. All right, uh, I want to hear this. Uh, no, I want to hear Kingdom Hearts. Kingdom Hearts 3 finally came yeah, out. Yeah, I need finally to finally came out this year. Okay, I, I knew as soon as I wrote that down, I knew that there'd be disagreement with it. But from the the viewpoint of someone who has been waiting a, a really long time for it, I feel like it achieved a lot of what it wanted to achieve. Um, and there's so much story involved in the Kingdom Hearts franchise that it did manage to wrap up. Obviously, I, I don't think it's perfect by any stretch of the imagination, and sometimes Kingdom Hearts dialogue is a bit cringy and corny, but the way it made me feel personally was just kind of unmatched. Um, now, and- since writing this down, it, they've announced, obviously, the the expanded final mix, quote-unquote. Yeah. So... I guess is it, is there a possibility we're revisiting this next year, depending on the scope of that? I hope so. I when seeing all the details of that has made me somehow more excited than when Kingdom Hearts Three was coming out. Like the DLC is somehow more exciting because it feels like it's pure Kingdom Hearts. Like the the Disney stuff in Kingdom Hearts Three is arguably the weakest part of it, um, depending on which side of the fence you sit on with it. Uh, so to have a DLC that's just like here's the Kingdom Hearts characters, don't worry about Frozen or anything like that. That's just really cool. Well, also the uh, Kingdom Hearts was invented as this crossover, but then the Final Fantasy part of it got pulled out, only to be put back in with this Final Mix yeah, DLC. Yeah, I'm not. So, so that'll be so that'll be incorporated next year. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of the lack of Final Fantasy representation. That was just a weird decision, um, and to see it rectified in the dlc is kind of confusing as well like it almost feels like it was purposefully left out um it's but, still so uh, strange to me that that whole thing because obviously namura was doing interviews before the game came out and saying oh no there are final fantasy characters and then after the fact he was like oh i meant moogles it's like what, what are you guys yeah. even yeah. like so strange so you know you have to wonder what went on but i i see what you're saying um about the story because i think definitely there's power in in seeing something like this concluded. Um, but I think for, for my money, I just feel like <laughs> the dialogue <laughs> in those games, whenever characters, the trailer for the DLC, I mean, obviously I've, I finished the games, but I can't think of any specific examples from the game itself because I played it in, what was it, January? Yeah, January. Something like that. Um but uh, when I watched the, the trailer, the dialogue was just like instant headache land for me. <laughs> what are they fucking talking about? Um, no, I don't want to. I don't want to criticize these these commendation nominations too much, but 
I feel like Kingdom Hearts 3 did kind of run into that trap that, that some long-running things to be concluded run into where it does kind of wrap up a bunch of loose ends, but it does, in my opinion, do that kind of overly neatly and tidily where it's just kind of like checking off a list like, oh, we, we fixed, we, we settled that loose end. Yep, we've settled that one too. Yep, there we go. I, I, I would agree. I would agree with that. Sorry, go on, James. I will say, so... I haven't played every Kingdom Hearts game, but just because of who I follow on Twitter, I have a much greater understanding of the plot than really I should, because I see them arguing about it, like, all the time. Um, <laughs> does not actually, like, solve a lot of the uh, lingering plot threads. Like, the funny thing is that, like, now, the most important game in the Kingdom Hearts series is the mobile game for the overarching plot. Well, especially the way it ends, I won't I won't spoil it. I'll just give the premise where it's like, all right, we've wrapped up we've wrapped up the the plot threads from the from the previous console and handheld games, and now we're immediately going to jump into the premise that was introduced in the mobile game as that that's what we are going forward. So it's like, Which oh, I, no, I, I got to understand that now. The mobile game is itself a like remaster, remake, and port of the Japan only. Well, um. No, not not a remake, remaster, and port. A remake, port, and sequel to the Japan-only um, browser game. It literally is a continuation of that story. So it's even worse than that in the sense that there's a lot of story threads that people in the West just, unless they specifically seek it out, aren't going to understand because it's not presented to them in an official capacity. I, I well, would... that's, just the, that's just the natural progression of Kingdom Hearts is... Uh, a regular through line for its story progression. Huh? It's like, oh, we can't just split off to different handhelds now because there's fewer of them. So now let's just split off to to gotcha game. Or no, it's not a gotcha game, just a mobile game, and and other and other sorts of interesting forms of progressing that that narrative. I would agree but, there. I almost feel like I should get a degree in how much I've had to learn about Kingdom Hearts, just even as a fan. Um, but. Yeah, yeah. I think there are definitely points to be made for and against Kingdom Hearts, and mine is obviously as a standpoint as a long-time fan, so I can see why someone who's sort of in the middle um, would say it's not so great. I can, yeah, yeah. Uh, I can definitely like see like you know being as a long-time fan of something and seeing it like pay off, whether for good or bad. You just want to see the culmination of all the events like coming together. And like having some big, like you know, momentous event. Like, oh man, this person from this game and this person from this game is finally meeting together. And what are they going to get into and whatnot? There's something special to be said about that. But in the case of Kingdom Hearts three itself, without the Remind DLC, I I always when I see the Remind DLC and I see how Kingdom Hearts three wrapped up, I always think of that. You know, when when DLC is becoming more prevalent in games, you had like the those stupid images of like the Mona Lisa and like parts of the Mona Lisa being taken out. And then being sold back on purpose <laughs> for it. That's that's what I see with the remind DLC, you know. But so I, I guess mean, this is this is. But I guess we're getting into the weeds a little bit. But I guess yeah. what we're saying is, it, it maybe it, it deserves a it deserves a, a nod for for sort of bringing most stuff in the series to a conclusion and and making fans happy. But perhaps, well, the vibe that I'm getting is that this isn't DLC. the one. Yeah, I, no, I, I think I think remind DLC next year might might be. You know, well, we we might be discussing it for a, I don't know for a best DLC commendation or something, right? Like you know, who knows? Maybe it's just it's so good that it becomes game of the year next year. You never know. 
got my vote. Yeah, yes. I I think so we opened up with Disco Elysium. I, I think personally, I'm gonna go with Disco Elysium here. The, I I, I can yeah. see where the three houses comes from, but I think Disco Elysium because without writing a story. Right. No, e even game, when even when I brought it up, I was I wasn't planning on giving it three houses, but I just did want to call out its world building. But yes, Disco Elysium. I've never laughed so much at a game. I've never like in a recent times considered my choices and seeing how that's reverberated through the the narrative there. It definitely has my pick for this commendation. Okay, so it sounds like we're good with Disco Elysium then. Sure does, and I think that makes sense. So yeah. let's just keep motoring because there's quite a few of these categories. Right. So, uh, okay, commendations for art. Right now, what we have listed, uh, maybe we'll add on more, is Indivisible, Super Robot Wars T, Link's Awakening, and Kingdom Hearts 3 once again. Hell yeah. Um, I guess I'll start with indivisible. Just in every category, in, in, indivisible. Like, I think a lot of that game, like you know, it, I'll be the first to say it's a flawed game. You know, it's not it's not a perfect game, but the the strongest part about it, just once you start controlling that game, once you start exploring around, the first thing that you notice at that game is the art direction and the art design, the way it animates, the way it it it, it looks like a painting in motion. But it it's not like it doesn't feel jittery or stuttery. Everything's very smooth in that game. When you have um I forgot the main character's name already, sorry. Um like when she does her slide, when she swings down her uh, her hatchet to you know cling onto a wall, when you see the like a seamless transition into battle and whatnot, it, it all just blends together like uh like a, a coherent painting. And it, it looks it looks wonderful. It just from top to bottom, especially with the battle effects. Um, when you have um, one of your party members controls like water, and one of her attacks is like uh, rising up, like you know, a tide for one of her juggle attacks, it all it all just it it flows together so well and so beautifully. Like I, without 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 that, the strength in its art uh, design in general, that game just collapses. Because once again, there's there's a lot th that can be said, and you know, the obviously the developers have been ongoing with you know trying to fix up some of the problems that it had uh, from launch. But, like, when I think about other games this year, aside from Link's Awakening, like, I, I think the, the only real contender for Indivisible when it comes to this commendation is Link's Awakening. It's just kind of a weird one for me because I put Super Robot Wars T on here. And, you know, Super Robot Wars T, once again, it their new engine that they uh, put with, uh, with V, X, and now T... Are, is stunning like it still has like some of the best sprites in the market and the way it transitions from those sprites uh into like the more realistic proportions of what you see in the ad actual anime shows and especially in this year because you have a lot of very popular western franchises uh represented like g gundam gun x sword um not gundam wing uh, cowboy bebop and whatnot like it all looks Fantastic, especially uh, with Cowboy Bebop. When people think of Cowboy Bebop, they think of like the fantastic opening in it. And one of the uh, like ultimate attacks for the Cowboy uh, Spike's ship um, is like a, a really slick transition to that uh, opening, like scene of like the, the silhouettes and the hard cuts and whatnot. And it's all it's all stylish, it's, but but you know it's it's expected of Super Robot Wars. It's nothing outstanding. Meanwhile, Indivisible and Link's Awakening 
like you know they all just it's it's not something you see a lot of in the market so when you see games like indivisible and Link's awakening really push the boundaries of what you of how like how visuals really help liven up uh what what may, what makes a game stand out because both of them like you know their their systems have been done before in other games but the way you present them to the market makes them feel fresh again and that's to me the most important thing about art in this combination is like it's conveying oh, so, visuals. so well so on on that topic so I just want to cuz yeah. this is the thing about about kingdom hearts in this in this category actually is that mm-hmm. i think kingdom hearts is is a tremendous achievement and there's definitely the scene that comes to mind for me is uh, the scene when uh, Rapunzel first gets out of the tower and it, they sort of do a, a Kingdom Hearts recreation of the scene from the movie mm, where she's yeah. sort of being a bit, um, bit being a bit eccentric about all the things she's going to see now she's out of the tower. And that shit is crazy. Like, it looks so much oh, like yeah. the film. The However... It's fucking fantastic. Like, when you think about the summons and, like, the, like the aerial summon sticks out in my mind for it. Yes, that's another good example. However, I, I, I don't... Say that I do think that one of the most memorable like locations in a video game this year for me has to have been the Toy Story world in uh, Kingdom Hearts 3. This comes back to exactly what I was saying. Yeah, it's just because it, it, the doing the Pixar and Disney Animation Studios CG stuff was a real opportunity for them to for them to, to to showcase what they could do visually and how much it looks like the movies is actually astonishing. However... I'm not sure if you ask me where my gut goes on this. Like Josh sort of said, it goes to sort of things like Indivisible and Link's Awakening and Link's Awakening in particular for me, because I just think that is a technical achievement in that I think it's probably the performance isn't always the greatest, but I think it's one of the best looking uh, Switch games in, in many ways. Um, just in, artistically, you know, not not in a, in a in a in a raw graphical sense, but also I think that art style is so clever. It's so smart in terms of, you know, and I know we 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 gave a spoiler warning, but I'm not going to get into why it's clever. But that art style is clever, not only because it's pretty, but because of how it actually plays into what that game is about. Let's put it that way. Oh, yeah. I I totally agree on that. It's actually astonishing how many people are still complaining about the art style, and it's like it doesn't look realistic. And it's like uh, that's kind of the point, and you'd understand if you finish the game. Sort of but... even the even stuff they do to save performance, like some of the depth of field blur, motion blur, and stuff like that, has a has a quality to it that fits with what the game is. Like with that, in that respect, like Link's Awakening, like the depth of field things, uh, like the depth of field part of it actually makes sense compared to like what Octopath Traveler tried to do its depth of field last year, which didn't really, you know, add on a lot to it. But meanwhile, Link's Awakening, it actually, the depth of field actually emphasizes like, you know, the things that you want to be emphasized very clearly and it's not distracting. Yeah, I, no surprise here that I put Kingdom Hearts here as the uh, accommodation, but not for it to win this because for me, Link's Awakening, as as much as I really enjoyed almost every aspect of that game, the art style and just how uh, adorable seems like the charming, charming is the right word, uh, just how charming the art style was, uh, just it 
sticks out in my mind like no other game. So I'd have to agree with Alex there. Yeah, I think, well, I don't know. It, it depends on, obviously, Outer Wilds has also been listed on this. Um, I don't know if anyone's got any strong feelings on that. Um, I just put it down there because I finished it a few days ago, and I do think that it's legitimately an artistic achievement, even if it's not one of the most visually impressive games, like from a technical standpoint. I think the way that it handles a solar system, even if, if it's a small one, I love how different and unique each of the planets are and how they all kind of tie into the overarching like world design of the, of the game itself. I think that the, if nothing else, I don't expect it to win, but I did want to give it a shout out because I know there's many things to talk about like in that game, but I do think the art design is something that's higher up there. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. And I, I love the sort of um the, so, no, sorry to bring up zelda again but i love the sort of wind wakerish quality to some of the to some of how that game looks uh, out, out of wilds that is but i do feel like on this list link's awakening is the one yeah i'd agree yeah that's just just uh, just uh, just to get in my two cents yeah uh, zelda is a series that obviously adjusts its art style to, to set its to, to set the stage for each individual game and it's just crazy that after a couple of decades, it's still throwing curveballs like, oh, here's something you still haven't seen yet that we're going to do something new here. And it's just that that I think in itself is remarkable. And then obviously Link's Awakening has probably one of the more memorable of all the different art style changes, probably behind Wind Waker, but as an easy number two in terms of the shifts that that series has gone through in terms of changing up how it, its visual identity. Yeah, uh, I think I have nothing else to say about Link's Awakening, but it sounds like Link's Awakening is getting this commendation for art. I I'm on I think that makes perfect sense. Yeah. yeah. So moving on, we're doing a commendation of music, and oh man, there's a lot of commendation of music, but this was a hell of a year for, for in that respect. So to run it down, our nominees uh, listed right now are Final Fantasy XIV, Shadowbringers, Cadence of Hyrule, Etrian Odyssey Nexus, Fire Emblem Three Houses, Kingdom Hearts 3, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, The Legend of Heroes Trails of Cold Steel 3, Pokemon Sword and Shield, Saga Scarlet Grace Ambitions, Ambitions. and um, even though it's not out here yet, I, I know James definitely wanted to uh, give it, you know, wanted to shout out before, you know, it heads west as East Nine Monstrum Knox. Um, so yeah, it's, who wants to start? This is a hell of a well, list. So, well, it's a long list. And so what I would say is probably for the sake of our sanity and in the interest of time, I think we should, everything, obviously anything to, to even make this list um, is really good. But maybe we could just knock a few things off right off the bat. Like East obviously isn't, like you said, it's not, not out here yet, right? So we wanted to talk about it, but it's not strictly relevant yet, right? James. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. I mean, it's one we will revisit when it has its uh, its 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 Western release because we always work our game of the year on on what is available to our readers, and our readers are predominantly in the West, in the UK, and the US, and Canada, and so on. Um, I would also say I don't know how George feels about this because I know you've played it, but I would also say I like the score plenty in Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order but I don't feel like it's 
particularly like top 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 of the year material yeah i'd agree with that it was a uh, it's surprising how much the music uh i actually enjoyed but i wouldn't say it tops any of the other games on this list just a little yeah, nod sure. they definitely respawn definitely did some great work on like some uh like you know remastering rescoring some of the iconic star wars themes but you know this is it's just there's too much competition this year i would also get rid of etrian odyssey um etrian odyssey nexus has really 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 good music but most of it is just borrowed from previous games because that's what etrian odyssey nexus is it's literally a remix of all the other games so it's no koshiro's koshiro's rescoring on those so good, but I agree. <laughs> so good, though. Um, yeah. So there we go. Um, what what else? I feel bad got... for FF14 because I don't think anyone here actually plays it regularly. The funny thing is, I don't anymore, but I do uh, pick up every soundtrack release and listen to it. So I'm yeah, quite I... familiar with the Shadowbringers music from from you know. From externally i listen to a lot of that stuff on youtube and stuff and it is a fabulous score um here's here's the question of the of the stuff that's left over i think this is the easiest way to to, to whittle this down does any one of these jump out to anyone as a natural winner i don't think any of these is a natural winner because i do think that scarlet grace's soundtrack is really good especially in the sense that like each of the four playable character like main characters has their own field and battle theme and all of them are fantastic. But even if I didn't really like Pokemon Sword and Shield, it has a great soundtrack. Cold Steel 3 has a great soundtrack. Fire Emblem Three Houses has a great soundtrack. It's just, it's always hard when it comes to music because it's like so subjective. I would, just before, because I know Kingdom Hearts 3 has been a bit uh, controversial in this little podcast, but the music, I think, is something everyone, I hope everyone can agree Kingdom Hearts has always had fantastic music. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's 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 a really, really good score as well. To be fair, like in in terms of the way it calls back to some of the older games and stuff is is really really smart. The funny thing is, I don't actually think it's quite as strong as FF15 musically. Um, I would agree. Actually, I would agree with that. But 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 it's 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 really really good. Yeah, I I, I just okay. want to. Sorry, go on, Josh. Go. Uh, well, I, I'm just saying, I love Fire Emblem Three Houses soundtrack to pieces. I love it a lot, but to me, there's not a lot of memorable tracks in it. I know the I you know the basic battle theme, of course, overworld theme, of course, but like outside of like maybe five to six other tracks that like stuck out to me, a lot of that soundtrack was very you know it's it's what I expect out of Fire Emblem. It's 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 great, but not, it's nothing. It's not as memorable as what I remember like in uh, Fates Conquest. And then, like the second half of Awakening, to me, that's uh, that's how I feel. The best Fire Emblem I really like the Sacred Wizards. Stones. <laughs> I feel like I have to give the requisite shout out to the to the dubstep maps in <laughs> Three Houses. The but final, I agree. I think it has. I, th- I think it has one or two standout tracks, especially the Paralogue track. But as a whole, I can't really. Like the monastery track comes to mind just because there's so much of it. But mm-hmm. so, uh, as as a whole score, I don't. I th- I think I, I see it as a as a as a willing as a contender, but not as a winner. One we haven't talked about yet is a cadence of Hyrule. Uh, that just that, yeah, that would jump out to me. It's spectacular. 
where it's mostly just remixes of previous series. Yeah, well, it, it is. And, and, and it's a difficult thing because it's like, here's something you know, and therefore it gets the blood pumping in a way that only something that you know can. But what I will also say is, some of the ways they use that music in that game is 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 really is really really smart. Like they use tracks that you know in unexpected ways and unexpected places and stuff like that. And um, the way they they uh, manipulate the layers because the, you know Cadence Hyrule the like the beat maps of those songs is the gameplay. Unlike an Etrian Odyssey where it's like you know it's it's a supplementary thing in Cadence of Hyrule that is how you play the game. Unless you go like you know on the on the other mode where you can do anything without the beat map thing, which is you know a fair way to play the game. But you know, to a lot of people who uh, went from Crypt of the Necro Dancer to this, that's the the heart of the game. And without like you know, like really really precise manipulation of the layers, like a lot of that thing just fades away. But it it forces you to like not like know the song and like it, it. That's what makes it stand out. It's because you you hear it a lot and a lot, and you see like wow, this is why it works so well with each and every single section of that game and like and being a Zelda fan of course it only heightens that to to new levels it's the the way they manipulate like well known iconic tracks in the game and and repurpose it for that game is just it's masterful it's it's on it's on a level that very few games have achieved this year for me i, I just want to touch on pokemon briefly and just say um the score is really interesting in places and really boring in others. And I think that almost uh, that almost disqualifies it. Not disqualifies it, but that almost means it can't win because of the stuff that isn't that isn't so hot. But um but I do but but I do want to mention that there's the stuff there's music in that game that's sort of inspired by um inspired by what's the word I'm looking for? That's inspired by Britain, basically stuff that's inspired by 1970s British punk rock and stuff like that. That stuff is really good. And then a lot of the more traditional Pokemon stuff is sort of very run of the mill, but I do want to, you know, you have to give a shout out to that, to that stuff because the game really wears its, its, its setting and it's, you know, uh, proudly in that regard. Um, Yeah. I would say a good test of, uh, which should be the winner in this category is would you buy the official soundtrack of the game? And the only one that jumps out to me is something I probably wouldn't be interested in, unfortunately, is Pokemon. I really like uh, the gym battle theme, but the rest of them are just kind of... Yeah, God, that gym battle scene is so good, but yes, yeah, you are yeah, right. That one one is fantastic, but none of them, other than that, massively jump out to me. I'm not a huge Pokemon fan, uh, but I did play it, and it's like Alex said, it's sort of boring a lot of the time. Um, I know that's going to cause hate, but hey, it's the truth. But so, so here's what I'd say: based on what you just said, you know, thinking about it that way, uh, soundtracks you would buy. I can tell you now, for me, that would be um, that would be Shadowbringers or Kingdom Hearts or Cadence Hyrule. Actually, those would be the three on this list where I'd be like, yes, I would go out and buy the CD. Yeah, I, th- I think for immediate things to cross out, I'm thinking Three Houses and Pokemon pretty much have to go at this point. I think I'd actually cross out Cold Steel 3 as well, because there's some really, really fantastic tracks in there, but there's also some that just don't work very well. Like, it, it's something that a lot of Falcom fans have like been noticing over the last couple of games, and it's like, it, Cold Steel 3 isn't as bad in, in that regards as, like, Cold Steel 4 in Japan and, like, East 9, but it's just, like, 
one or two bad songs, like actually bad songs, can really kind of. And it's, it feels prevalent too, as well. Like there, there will be, there will be, there will be stretches that game. It's like that really does nothing in terms of like sound, like overall sound. Like you're, you're, you're kind of going through the motions. It is Cold Steel Three is by no means a bad game. It's an excellent game, but uh, it's not all there when it comes to score for me. Yeah, my take on Cold Steel Three is that it's it it sounds like Falcom Sound Team distilled. Like it just it just sounds like they're repeating themselves. It's just it's there's nothing different about it. There's nothing interesting about it. It's just the same. It's kind of what if you had to invent a Falcom song in your head without a lot of care or practice, then you'd end up with Cold Steel Three's. Uh, contribution to their to their discography it just doesn't have anything that stands out unlike themes in one and two that i can still recall you know just as as, on a whim off the Mm. cuff all right so sounds like what we're left 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 with right now is Shadowbringers, cadence of hyrule kingdom hearts 3 and saga scarlet grace ambitions it is a really really tough decision now (laughs) this is where whoever wins square next wins Three out of the five. <laughs> yeah, right. <sighs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna put my vote obviously in uh, Kingdom Hearts, but to say that the others are all fantastic as well. They're, it's been a great year for game and music, uh, but Kingdom Hearts felt like a celebration. It, even more than the plot did, the music felt like something for the fans, and even non-fans can appreciate just how good the soundtrack is. So that's where my vote's going. You know what? I'm thinking about it, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking actually specifically about the battle theme that they use in the Toy Story section, and I think it's it for me. It's also Kingdom Hearts, to be honest. Yes. Hmm. Uh, what do you think about James on Saga Scarlet Grace? I really, really like the soundtrack of Scarlet Grace. It's it's excellent, but it's also expected of Saga in some respect because Saga games are really great. At sound, like no questions asked, but it it doesn't really push the boundaries when you think of a saga OST. I almost want to give it to the saga just because of the opening and ending themes being like Japanese opera. Mm-hmm. I can see where you're coming from. They're so so good, and then yeah. like battle themes for each of the characters is so good. The unique battle themes are great. Like um, some of the boss themes are just amazing. The field themes are fantastic. Like, it's just like I, I think the thing that stands out to me is I don't think there's a song on that soundtrack that I think is bad. Like every song on there is at least good. Like again, like it reminds me of uh, that integral OST of Digital Double Saga, where every song on the on both of those games, I would not I, I would not skip over because it's that it's that good. Um. It's tough, man, because Kingdom Hearts 3 totally is in the conversation for this. So let's kind of leave Kingdom Hearts 3 and Saga here. And I guess Shadowbringers or Cadence has to go. That I think this is one or the other for the both of these right now. I I think we could probably lose both of them. Here's the thing I'd say is that Shadowbringers is an excellent continuation of what uh, FF14 has been doing, what, um, what Soken has been doing, and all that sort of stuff. And it's it's great, but I'm just, I'm not, there's, there's nothing in particular that really leaps out to me um, as much from this, perhaps. And I think Cadence of Hyrule, to be honest, 
we, we touched on this earlier, but it is remixes of songs that we know yeah. of, of, of classics. Um, and so I think, yeah, you have to discount that a little bit when it's compared to original, more original compositions. Um, and so I think it comes down to Saga or Kingdom Hearts, but yeah. I do personally think it's Kingdom Hearts. I'm going to put it in my vote for Kingdom Hearts. The one comment I'll say is that I do love how they make their each world's theme match to, obviously, its inspiration from the movies. And then they make the theme uh, transition into the battle music and back out and things like that. I think of, like, the Corona theme. And then, obviously, the Toy Story, like you mentioned. Uh, though I haven't played Saga, so I'm, I'm kind of picking the one that I'm familiar with. But I do think that Kingdom Hearts is a worthy winner. I will give the... I will. Um, give King of Hearts props in the sense that the transitions from the world field theme to the battle theme is always nailed. And that's something that I do think deserves props. And yeah. I think there are there are other areas of of Scarlet Grace where it's gonna get its props, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking so. So yeah, I am yeah, I'm if Kingdom Hearts does if Kingdom Hearts three did like anything stupendously amazing this year it is that score it is sound design i think it it does this is the word it excels so i think it has to be kingdom hearts 3 but you know not to say all these games that were mentioned here they're all fantastic it's just there has to be a winner and i think kingdom hearts 3 deserves it i can happily agree with that all right uh, Kingdom Hearts 3, winner of our commendation for music. Moving on, our commendation in design and immersion. And right now what we have listed is Ring Fit Adventure, Fire Emblem Three Houses, The Outer Wilds, uh, The Outer Worlds, and mm, I don't know what this other one. Uh, we'll leave it there. Someone did say Death Stranding, but it's not an RPG. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> nah, I can't. So yeah, Ring Fit Adventure, Three Houses, Outer Worlds, Outer Wilds. He wants to start. Even though I haven't played it, I look at Ring Fit Adventure and I'm just sitting here nodding my head like, yeah. yeah. It's, look, I just want to say it's it's completely badass. It's brilliant. Um, it's such a smart use of RPG tropes and RPG mechanics in something that is completely not an RPG, not really, or doesn't fit an RPG, not really. And it totally works. Um, it's some really clever design. However it's it's sort of a combination of two things that Nintendo has done before, I guess. Um, it's just an interesting combination that you wouldn't necessarily expect. Um, but it is super brilliant. Um, yeah, that's 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 my stance on Ring Fit. I don't want to bat for the All other right. game. I guess I will, I will take a, a swing at the Outer Worlds. Okay. I do see kind of why it's here, just because it's, it feels like a kind of a callback to about 10 years ago, you know, Fallout 3, New Vegas. And it also has a few Mass Effect-like settings with the ship and the way that companions work, uh, even though obviously it's a first-person game. Though I do think it's not really in contention for winning just because it's... Throwback doesn't quite have the right connotation, but it feels like it's it's well-worn. It's a design that's not... It, the reason why it stands out is because its competitor, Fallout 4, kind of moved away from it and other and other uh, games have, have as well. And it's kind of more like, hey, remember these games from 
the late 20 aughts and the early 2010s. It, uh, it feels like a game from 10 years ago in terms of design, which in a way does make it stand out, but it also kind of, I think, disqualifies it from winning a commendation for that. In terms of immersion, though, I think the role-playing elements of how you can build your character, the, the amount of dialogue options you have, I think it that definitely stands out to me. Um, that my character in the Outer Worlds was my character. Uh, yeah, I guess you can see that where design and immersion, you might almost split them and say, well, it scores poorly maybe on design, or maybe not poorly, but not highly on design, but definitely stronger between the two on yeah, immersion. Yeah. I'm definitely biased since I'm the one to put it on this list, but I look at these games and the only one I can see deserving this is Outer Wilds. Um, the reason being is that it really captures the majesty and terror of space as like a concept like you're exploring this solar system and yes it's like smaller than an actual solar system but you actually have to plan out your trajectory to get to different locations in the solar system you have to consider when you're uh yeah when you go to each of these planets because spoiler warning the uh, entire world is on this 22 minute time loop and in order to finish the game, you have to really consider not only where you're going, but when. And it's just a fascinating, fascinating design because each of these worlds is constantly evolving. Like you have, um, you have uh, the world that's surrounded by like storms that you need to figure out how to get to the center. You have the one that over the course of the time loop, it's falling apart and being sucked into a black hole. You have these twin planets that are constantly exchanging this dust, which determines which places on each of those planets you can go to during like the time loop. And it's just the thing from a design standpoint that really stands out to me is the fact that you aren't getting any like MacGuffins like in each time loop. Everything resets. The important thing that you earn from each time loop is information. And to the extent that once you understand how to finish the game, you can do it at the beginning of any time loop. It's just brilliant. I it, and it's it's like nothing else out there. I, I actually now, I don't wanna I don't wanna undermine your uh, experience with the outer wilds, but just this might be fourth wall breaking, but it hasn't really been something that I guess I'll just ask straight out: Is it an RPG? Should we, should it, should it be considered here with other games that we've more extensively covered? You know what I mean? Like we we crossed off Death Stranding just because we don't really see it as even tangential to an RPG. So, but Outer Wilds is allowed. Is does it does it cross that threshold? That's a good does my point. question make sense? That's a good point. I would say it's more of a straight out action adventure game. Yeah, but then again, I don't I don't know. I mean, it's it ain't that far off from sort of what you're talking with Zelda and stuff like that. So we just gave an art commendation. So yeah. All right. Yeah, exactly. I, I would make the point of Death Stranding beer being a Norman Reader simulator. So I think instantly it can be counting RPG. <laughs> <laughs> Man. All right. So Fire Emblem is the last title on this list for design and immersion. So I suppose there specifically we'd be talking about the multiple routes because that is the the part of the game that is unique even amongst that series. So how how do we that and that? I just want to say that 
but not just that. I would also say the decision to sort of uh, pivot Fire Emblem into this persona-like setting. Um, yeah, you're right. It doesn't seem like as big a deal, perhaps potentially, but I think when you really think about it, that's actually quite a ballsy move. Um, and it worked. It sure worked. So I thought you were going to say the bold decision to make it a single product instead of three other products. Oh, God. Well, also, getting rid of that bullshit is helpful, <laughs> definitely. I'll give Three Houses insane props for one thing. Like, after, like, Awakening and Fates, you could see, like, a giant schism, like, appear in the Fire Emblem fandom. And ever since Three Houses came out, it's like, it reunited the two portions of the fandom that were basically at each other's throats after Awakening and Fates. And I do think there's something to be said for that. It does I, kind of feel like everyone's come together for a big group hug after that. Right? Yeah, it's like yeah, it's enough. It's enough. Like both, but like both sides of the fence. You've got your your dating elements and your your romance endings, though it's paired back a bit. And then it feels a lot like like in in Adam's review for the game, he says it reminded him most of the GBA entry, and I I believe I said in it terms reminded of me most of the. Uh... Reminded me most of what? Okay. I said it reminded me most of the Tellius games. Oh, so yeah. the the GameCube and Wii entries. So yeah, it does. It does definitely does have that kind of unifying effect Three because, it, because, it, because it accounts for both for both sort of sensibilities very well. The Three Houses is also funny because like everything leading up to the release, like I I personally and I've seen it in other, with other friends as well. Like there's just something about it that like it vibed the wrong way. Like every sort of like marketing thing up to like actual launch it's like i don't know about this the only thing that really like kept like an eye on it was when they revealed the time skip like during e3 it's like okay this might be going somewhere but like the the, the early marketing around was just like i don't know man this is this is kind of not looking great you know so there is something to be said also just like kind of just you got to get into the full game itself and, and give it a shot and see if it's for you and by and by and large a lot of people seem to really jump on and as you guys mentioned, it it there's a lot of bold bold decisions that like it it it, it feels like it, it feels like nothing when compared to other games like like Ox's uh, Ox's mention of like it becoming more Persona s and that like you know when you think about the trajectory of Fire Emblem and how it decided to go to that direction and not only you know was successful about it but also that there were other aspects of it. It's like man, I wish. I, I wish the Persona games or other games of this nature like borrowed some things or uh, that you know Three Houses did, which is something that's kind of special because you you take you take a roll at it and like you're not necessarily just copying it one by one to one, but you're also kind of introducing like elements of it that you wish that other games of its nature borrowed from as well, and that's 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 a hell of an achievement. And also the the three or four spoilers rounds uh they yeah. each have kind of their own uh sort of tact where or tech where the uh claude's golden deer route is probably the most traditionally fire emblem he's the most traditional sensibilities for for the lord and what he what he values then the blue lions uh have kind of a more personal story it has a lot of the uh like the cg arts and it's very it's very kind of paired back into like this is less about the country and more about personal relationships mm-hmm. and then obviously the, the the other two routes which split is more of a kind of us against the world or sort of where each one kind of has it. it's not just three different viewpoints each one kind of 
focuses on different on different stages on different scales so it does feel like it's not just feeling like, like you're swapping out one protagonist for another it it also kind of has that sort of visual novel type of story structure too where playing one route you don't get the full picture of like what's actually happening and by playing the other routes you basically get a fuller and more complete picture of the world the history of it the lore and basically everything that led up to the game itself so that's interesting that, that that's changing my opinion on this category actually when you think about it from that perspective yeah. of yeah of of the way the roots interact and stuff yeah yeah it's sounding like uh, I... go for it yeah it has to be fire emblem i think i think we're all a ring fit adventure would have been yeah. my second one because of how unique it is and how it uh uses rpg elements but i think ju- judging by how much conversation we can have about fire emblem three houses i think that it seems like... i think for me the most immersive and most impressive design game this year is outer wilds but the best rpg for the category definitely has to be fire emblem that's sounding like consensus all right fire emblem for design and immersion then yeah all right. Yep. Congratulations to Fire Emblem Three Houses for the commendation on design and immersion. Moving on, commendation and ongoing support. And the uh, ones that we have for this category are Destiny 2, Monster Hunter World, and Final Fantasy XIV Shadowbringers. Um, I, I guess uh, the Destiny 2, they had the Shadow Keepers. I think that's called. Shadow Keep. Yeah, Shadow Keep, uh, Monster Hunter World, Iceborne, and then Shadowbringers. I'll be honest, I own Shadowkeep, but I haven't played it yet, so I, I don't think anyone else here has played it, so, yeah. Uh, nothing about well, Shadowkeep. They, Shadow had, they had their big move to Steam yes. and their free-to-play, so yeah, that's, that's, that's the biggest like, one. Onboarding a bunch of new players. I haven't played it, but that's when I think of yeah. Destiny 2. And- yeah, you're right. Yeah. You're right, because Destiny 2 uh, ongoing support is more than Shadowkeep. It is definitely the... Uh, migration away from Activision, Blizzard, and Battle.net to to Steam, making trying to make sure everyone's like on the same page of like uh, getting their accounts to the Steam client, and also the cross save support. You know, so people who want to get, get their PS4, Xbox characters into the Steam or vice versa, they made a client for that, and just being super transparent about the whole process about it, and that they had their you know it, you can say whatever you want about the, you know the current state of Stadia, but them actually giving Stadia a shot. You know that that's also ongoing support as well. So it's definitely more than just Shadow Keep uh, alone. It's definitely like a- everything they've done this year to kind of quote unquote reboot Destiny Two, especially getting that that new light or whatever it's called for newcomers along, so they don't have to play through the standard Destiny Two thing. It's like, hey, just go in and do whatever you want, trying to get everyone on board. I think you know, I think Destiny Two is in the conversation here, but I, I think it's less for the expansion itself and more for the you know, other technical things. And the, the and flip on side the other that, end, yeah, I think we right, have the yeah. same tack. We're going to talk about Monster Hunter. Yeah, is that Monster Hunter put out a phenomenal, incredible expansion that I fit, and I'm sure we're going to discuss in, in some more detail later on. Um, but I think the, the actual day-to-day support um, could be a lot better, if I'm honest. And... I will say that the day-to-day support since Iceborne's release has been much better. 
but the thing that kills it for me with monster hunter is i don't think there was a legitimate excuse for such a big delay between the console versions and the pc versions of iceborne especially since they had mostly caught up with content on the pc version for the base game before iceborne was fully revealed that just stands out to me as being wholly unnecessary the fact that that is still an issue the fact that they're only just now getting close to catching up i think almost puts it out of the running for this award and obviously we know we're going to be talking about the quality of iceborne individually yeah. That on the lead up to Iceborne, they had their like we're going to run through all the festivals back to back so people can get their you know time time gated materials and and uh, outfits and things like that. And the PC version was included on that. Oh, but by the way, you're not getting the game till next year. So, and I'm not going to use the word excuses because I don't know what goes behind the scenes in terms of releasing that. But just the fact that you know you talk about Destiny two and cross save, and then you talk about Monster Hunter and the opposite end where it's like you've got two distinct player bases where one of them isn't even part of the expansion yet does kind of, I think, keep it out of the running. And then we have Shadowbringers. I do want to stress about Monster Hunter that the work they've been doing with the post-launch support for Iceborne is night and day compared to the post-launch support for base game. Like, the amount of content that they've added to Iceborne already, I think, is equivalent to the amount of content they added to the base game like almost a year after launch and i think there's something to be said for that so to be honest um right off the bat i think probably final fantasy 14 wins this i think the way that they um the way they've just gone to bat this year with a great expansion with um really good communication really good it's sort of interaction with the fan base. Um, Yoshida continuing to be a, a, a real, a real bright spot in terms of in terms of that sort of thing. I, I just think, I think what Bungie's done on Destiny is absolutely incredible, and I think what's most impressive is it's been a challenging year for Destiny because they obviously sort of they they left the Activision deal and they were sort of swimming upstream. They were they were fixing stuff that was wrong with the game and stuff. And, and dealing with some some pretty large complaints, um, and so they've done phenomenally. But for my money, I just think uh, Final Fantasy fourteen is a beacon of how to support a live game. It came into the year with more momentum, but has completely kept it up. It hasn't tripped. It seems like where Destiny two obviously has made great strides, but was coming from a lower starting point, as as my impression anyway. I think Destiny yeah, 2 is I would say that's fair. Place to this, like Destiny Two, like Alex, you know, and others have said, it's just yeah, like it's 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 a great second place, but a lot of uh, FF14's thing is it's very easy to be to to feel arrogant once you have momentum, but the uh, they not only came to the year, you know, with a lot of a lot of people still and still are still very passionate and still. Still love the everything that they're doing with FF14 with Shadowbringers. It, that that's tough to pull off, like on any ongoing MMO in the year 2019. You know, of just you know keeping your fan base you know happy. That's it's so tough these days. It's it's amazing how how Yoshida just continues to just just hit home runs. It feels like it will be very interesting to see see that that development 
wing, that, I don't know what the right word is, studio or division, whatever you want to call them. It'll be interesting to see those guys led by Yoshida do something with another game that is not Final Fantasy XIV and potentially, I don't know, maybe isn't isn't an MMO, but also is still a live game. And I, that I'm really excited for, because like I say, fourteen is just is just, it's an example of how to do it basically it's a it's yeah yeah i think that wins this category easily to be honest i think destiny is a great great example also though yeah i'd I'd second that all right sound and light final fantasy 14 shadowbringers wins the commendation for ongoing support which leads us to the last uh commendation which is the commendation for non-rpg and the the ones nominated for this one are AI The Somnian Files, Damon X Machina, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, Luigi's Mansion 3, Devil May Cry 5, and Death Stranding. I don't know if we wanted to also add in Outer Wilds to not or this because of the conversation earlier. So potentially I, 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 I forget. I mean, do we are we are we still saying this award is 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 our award for something that isn't an RPG, but we think our audience will enjoy. Because in which instance, I, for instance, I think if if that's what we're still saying, I think, for instance, stuff like DMC, Death Stranding, Luigi's Mansion don't necessarily fit. However, if we're just saying, if we're going broader with it, then at that point, I would want to have a conversation about, um, about Metro Exodus and about... Um, Crikey, what else about probably about Resident Evil 2? I think it's yeah, gonna be I more the first uh, thing, yeah. I think because, yeah, yeah. Let's, if we're getting too much of the too broad if we're going for the second one. I think this is this is strictly about like what we think our audience should check out as well. If you're an RPG fan, okay, so here's my argument. I'm just gonna get it out of there right real quick. Um, obviously, a lot of the readers of our site are big, big fans of the Souls series. Um, and although it strips out a lot of the RPG mechanics, Sekiro is absolutely fucking incredible. I, yeah, I, I think... I go on. And, sorry, you go ahead. Oh, uh, yeah, I totally agree with Sekiro Shadows Die Twice because the, this is, even though they took out, you know, a lot of the, the numbers uh, from the Souls series... It is definitely one of those games that it 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 makes use of every single aspect and element of the of the game design itself. Like every single little like armament that you get, every single little system that uh, that you that you learn, and and kind of when you think about RPGs and about um, exploiting weaknesses in them, this does it much more in, in a much more engaging way because it really asks. It really asks you to uh, memorize not only enemy patterns, but how that, um, how those patterns you can use to your advantage, depending on what tool you have into your disposal. Like you'll you'll start learning stuff the more you experiment with, with that, and that's something that I think a lot of RPG players like to do. Is like, how do I beat this tough thing? I should go start experimenting with what I have, and then you may you'll find a lot of surprising results. In Sekiro, just because something seems like impossible at first doesn't mean that it's like it's it's trying to like lock you out or, or gatekeep you out from like you know progressing out. It's just asking you, 
maybe you should go look at what at what you have at the moment and see how the, the things that you have interact with the obstacle you know blocking you and it's just it, the way it teaches you the way it pushes you to do that it's it's there's not something that you can really cheese all that much uh it, it asks you to fa- face everything head on uh, in in a really really brilliant way i i adore sekiro to pieces i think there's two things i want to say about sekiro mm-hmm. first off and i think i actually feel pretty qualified to say this since i've been playing through a bunch of the older from software games this year i think it has the best world and level design of any of these souls-like games that they've developed and yeah. two i think that the final boss in particular is one of my most memorable final bosses i've ever fought against in pretty much any game out there that final boss is i, I can't think of another gaming moment where upon like finally beating him i just wanted to like chuck my controller i was so relieved and so happy and i think that's rare in any game to have that sort of reaction um, and I think Sekiro, even more so than Dark Souls or Bloodborne, is just uh, a lesson in perseverance. I think any gamer, obviously it's not that we, there was talk about accessibility and difficulty earlier in the year, but I think everyone should try it to see what it, uh, perseverance in a game really is about. Anyone else want to... This, this is easily a I game. just want to echo all that. I still want to. Yeah, basically, this is easily out. a game that could have been covered as an RPG or an RPG adjacent game. So I think it's definitely something where uh, fans of the RPGs that are the Soul series would would enjoy. It's kind of an. It almost seems like a no brainer just to be candid about it. Saying that, um, and I am still saying Sekiro would be my choice because it's probably my game of the year anyway. Uh, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Like what? What a surprise! Like I know a lot of people were doubting Respawn, um, stupidly considering they made Titanfall two and they had an amazing campaign, but it just it blew me away. Even as a like sort of smaller Star Wars fan, I'm not die hard. I, I see there are a lot of faults with Star Wars in general, but Fallen Order just uh, there. There were moments in that game where my my jaw was on the floor. Um, I don't know if that's just me, but I think that definitely I... deserved a note. I enjoyed it a great deal, and I think it definitely deserves a nod. What I'd say, and this is where, where it, 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 considering they're both sort of souls-ish, this is where it's set apart from from Sekulo is is that it's quite a safe game. I think it's sort of like you know they sat back and they said, okay, what are elements from other popular games that we can borrow? So we'll have a dash of this and a little pinch of that from souls and from metroid and borrowing from all over the place and the end result is the game that you get now that's great um but obviously it's i've seen some people say it's like one of the safest games it's like if you were to design a game by spreadsheet and just go like right what are the best possible fit which obviously (laughs) that sounds ludicrous because obviously of course you're going to design a game and say what are the best things we can put in it but do you get what i mean when i'm saying yeah 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 there's a frankenstein aspect to it yeah that's yeah totally i i can totally see where you're coming from but i do think that the game itself was inspired with a few of its design decisions like one of the simplest things i can bring up is how like the block button with you hold it down to use your lightsaber as a light in like caves and stuff. And I think that is honestly one of the simplest, but coolest things that I've seen a game do this year. Yeah. It's, it's smart. It's a, it's definitely, um, 
making use of something that seems so obvious uh, at the outset. It's like, it's like, whoa, you can actually do that. I think that I think I really liked my time with Jedi Fallen Order, but in the same respect, when we're coming from like when you guys were mentioning like you know how there's a Frankenstein aspect to it, the thing that really that, that's still a problem for it is just this, the technical aspects of it. it. It's still suffering from technical problems on each platform that it said it came in hot. It was obvious. It's still a very good game, but I a lot of those problems that like you know I even playing on PC. And like those little stutters, the 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 feeling of like imprecise controls, the almost like kind of floatiness of it, even though even though it's kind of weighed down, it never it never felt like the controls were. I was really driving with the controls. I felt like it, I was hoping that like whatever I input, it would actually it register into the game. There was some aspect of that for me, and that definitely you know came into play when you had to go I, do the ice slides and hoping you know Cal lightsaber like. Go, uh, holds on to that rope at the end of that ice slide, and so and most of the time he wouldn't. And I'm like, oh well, time to do this thing again. It's, I, I it just needed a little bit more time in the oven in terms of like just controls wise, like and obviously technical wise as well. It just something always felt off, and I was controlling I, that, uh, that game. I would say, especially as a comparison point to what we've talked about with Sekiro, which is smooth as butter, probably oh, yeah. one of, what it needs to be because of its counter system. I would say that's a very good point because not only does Jedi Fallen Order have a lot of performance issues when I played it, um, it always it always felt like Cal was moving not on the ground or in the environment. It felt like he was moving as a game character, if that makes sense. Like it, he didn't feel like he was in his world. He almost feels like he's on ice skates or something. Yeah, um, yeah, de- definitely. Yeah. I, I I don't know if this is just me as well, but. Whenever like there's like inconsistent graphical design in that game. Like whenever it came to back to the flashbacks of him training as like as, as a younger kid or whatever, that shit looked like a fucking PS2 game to me. And I had like the, the settings like to like high for that game. And when it came to back to those flashbacks, it was like, is this like fucking Jedi Jedi Academy or whatever? Like it just looked rough at that at some aspects of that game. It was just it, it, I think it, it, it broke me out. The Wookiees, the how the Wookiees look. <laughs> uh, it definitely isn't a presentation winner. Um, as, as good as some elements are of it, the the Wookiees, I just, I just don't get it. Like, like <laughs> they're pretty good, and then you run across them in this game, and it was uh, it was kind of embarrassing almost. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, but yeah, it's the, it's the, the I think it's still attested. Like despite all of its problems, it's still pretty damn good. You know? Yeah. Oh, I love it. It's it's a yeah. We have to acknowledge great foundation. It's a great and, foundation for like if they're gonna do another one of these. Like, I'm really excited to see if Respawn gets another shot to like really do this and like really make it right. Like, I'm very excited to that prospect of that. Well, I will also too. say I think that's a game that gets a lot better later on as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, definitely a lot, lot better. But but anyway, I, I do think it ain't Sekiro. I still yeah. want to say that I think that people shouldn't sleep on Outer Wilds, but I also accept that it's definitely not going to be a game for everyone. Yeah, and you know, I th- I think it's just when you look at this list for what we're looking for in a non-RPG for our audience, people should just play the fuck out of Sekiro. Just fucking do it. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> to be honest, we probably could have covered it as an RPG, but they kept saying that it was different, so we didn't. Yeah, so I mean, you know, maybe next time. Uh, 
So it's sounding like Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice, um, wins our commendation for non-RPG this year. Yep. On board. All right. So for the final part, the biggest part of our game of the year at RPG site, we have this pretty sizable list of games. Do you just want me to just uh, list them out and then? Well, before or... before you do that, I think it's key just to to remind mm-hmm. ourselves and anyone who's listening in um, what we're going for here. So we've got a list of crikey, what is it? Um, I don't know. Is it first? Oh, maybe uh, a, almost maybe a little... three dozen games. Um, we've got a really long list, and but ultimately we only uh, reward ten games. And what we're going to do is we will have we don't do a top ten. We don't do numbered entries. So we don't do here's number ten, here's number nine. What we'll do is we'll whittle these games down until there are only ten left. And we you will be saying at that point we regard those ten in no particular order as the best ten games, best ten RPGs of the year. At that point. We will then, from those 10, try to find the top five. And from the top five, we will pick one as an overall winner. So we won't be ranking stuff first, second, third, fourth, and fifth. But basically, there will be a runner-up five, five winners. And one of those five will also be our overall top winner of our top award. The list is 40 games long. A lot of awesome. Every single right. year, it's like, was there really that many RPGs this year? And then you're looking like, oh, yep, yes, there was. All right. So I, I think the the most efficient way to go about this is, I'll list them out, and then we'll start cutting out the obvious ones, and we'll start building down. So well, we'll, yeah, so, uh, yeah. I would yeah, say yeah. if you if you list them so that we and the audience know what is on the list, and then after that, I would say any one of us can shout out something we don't think should be on the final ten, and anyone can then argue against that and say, no, I don't want to cut it, or yes, let's cut it, and then we'll keep going until we've got the 10. Okay, and we're just making sure, first of all, are we going to say all the games first, or just go one by one? Alex? Yeah, if you wouldn't mind reading them out first, and then we'll start. Okay. Um, Actually, let me go add in one final one here, because I I want to, I'll still keep it like that but okay um our list as of right now of course people can always add, add very last minute things that they want to uh ai the somnian files anthem another eden atalia lalua atalia riza astral chain bloodstained ritual of the night cadence of hyrule collection of mana demon ex machina destiny 2 shadow keep Digimon Story Cyber Sleuth Complete Edition, Disco Elysium, Disgaea 4 Complete Plus, Dragon Quest Builders 2, Dragon Quest 11S, Etrian Odyssey Nexus, Final Fantasy XIV Shadowbringers, Fire Emblem Three Houses, God Eater 3, Greedfall, Indivisible, Judgment, Kingdom Hearts 3, Link's Awakening, Monster Hunter World Iceborne, Persona Q2, New Cinema Labyrinth, Pokemon Sword and Pokemon Shield, Remnant from the Ashes, Ring Fit Adventure, Romancing Saga 3, Saga Scarlet Grace Ambitions, Sekiro Shadows Die Twice, 
SD Gundam G Generation Cross Rays, Shenmue 3, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order, Super Robot Wars T, Tales of Asperia Definitive Edition, The House in Fata Morgana Dreams of the Revenants, The Legend of Heroes Trails of Cold Steel 3, The Outer Worlds, and that's the entire list. Okay, so, so let's just uh, take off ones that we think are obviously not going to make the top ten. Is that right, what so going with? I don't. I'll I, 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 be honest with you. I don't even know if Josh just read it out because it is already crossed out. But obviously, we're taking Anthem off this list. Yeah, I, I said Anthem, but yeah, Anthem. Both Anthem and Another Eden um, are already crossed off. Anthem, I put on and crossed out. You know, way back when. I, I think it is. It is kind of amazing. Just like Anthem. Was definitely one of the most looked forward to games last year, and that just that game just man, it it had a year, all right. It had a year. Yeah, we had Anthem on our most anticipated list last year because it was just kind of a curious endeavor. Like, what is this going to be? And it could it was have been... supposed to be Bioware's next big thing. Yeah, it, it was could... supposed to be the next thing for Bioware. Well, it could have been like something really new and interesting and great or something kind of weird and weird and bad and kind of was more of the latter it seemed like so well it's, you know there's no point in even wasting breath on it maybe this time next year the anthem reboot whatever they're calling it will be really good and and we'll be talking about oh, it again anthem next it's, or whatever off, they call yeah it. it's off the list yeah and also All just right. in the same uh, respect um i wanted to just give a minor shout out to a little uh mobile game that came out this year called another eden um, it's it's kind of the spiritual successor to Chrono Trigger in some respects. It definitely has that time travel storyline, turn-based uh, battle battle system. Has a frog character. Definitely has uh, you know so, some uh, of the musical talent from Chrono Trigger, and I think the scriptwriter, same scriptwriter from Chrono Trigger. It's a lovely little you know RPG. It, it does have a little bit of gotcha in it, and you know you don't need any of the gotcha to complete the game. You can get complete the main storyline with the main characters. It's just a nice little callback. To that era I, it has a lot of problems and you know in terms of like how it goes on and how gotcha becomes more prevalent in it uh in the end game stuff but it's it was a, it's a nice little uh localization that you know i it kind of deserves that little shout out all right but so we can put it in the top 10 no i would not put it in the top 10 so right, should so we have, no, should we go down the list of people and like have each one go in order like pick something that they would cut yeah, okay. okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's fun. That was good. All right. Alex, you go first. I would cut Damon X Machina. I just think um, it's fine. It's decent. It's like a solid little 7 out of 10 game, but it's not best of the year material. And also, I don't think it's very RPG either, unless anybody uh, massively objects. I mean, I didn't uh, review it for as an RPG. I just wrote a little piece on it. That's like, it's a nice little callback to, you know, a niche fan base of Armored Core. I love that game, but I wouldn't put it in an RPG top 10 list either. So I agree. Yeah. All right. We'll start next with uh, George. What would you cut? Uh, I would happily, uh, unfortunately, but now I've played it happily throughout uh, Shenmue 3. Um, as much as it's a, a piece of gaming history, uh, I don't think it's even very good a, as a game, let alone with its minimal rpg elements um some things are better left in the time capsule i think see i oh but then again i am also i i missed the 
the era of Shenmue, so I'm coming at it as a newcomer. So for me, maybe I don't get it, but I don't think it qualifies enough as an RPG anyway. Um, but Alex? I'm looking at this list, though, and it's pretty stacked. I want to say that I think there's something to be said for a time capsule of a game. There's something really special about the fact that Shenmue is unashamedly what it is. <laughs> it's um, definitely Shenmue. Yeah. But, but, Undeniable. But, and in any other circumstance, I might um, I might fight a little bit harder for it, but I'm looking at this list and it ain't going to make the top 10, so I'm not going to postpone the inevitable. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, Ryan, you're next. All right, I'll take off Tales of Vesperia. Uh, I do think that Tales of Vesperia is one of the best games of that series, but I don't. The definitive edition has some weird issues in terms of like the voice acting. It does kind of feel dated now, in, in in a not in a great way, but in a minor way. It just as as a remaster that has a few niggling issues. It, it was kind of a long shot to be in the top ten anyway. So, I think it's a good a good for people that are playing it for the first time. I think it's one of the better entries of the series, but not. I also don't think it really adds enough. That. Right, yeah. I'm with you. I mean, it's not legitimately just the PS3 version, but with better frame rates and resolution. Yeah, but that version and the content in it never came to the West before. So... It's kind of as new here. Technically. Um, okay. I would maybe I would maybe argue for it for like slot number ten, except that the voice acting, the English voice acting, if people don't know the context, all the new scenes have different voice actors for a couple of the key characters, including the protagonist. It's just like, it's just very weird, very. It's, it's extremely so, distracting. It's, it it actually like lowered my opinion of the game. Like the voice is just flipping between actors like mid scene. It's very weird. All right, Adam, you're up. Um, I'm looking. I'm looking at collection of mana. So I guess we're counting. The, uh, I'm not sure who put this on here and what their intent was. I put but, <laughs> well, there's trials of mana is a new release technically for the West because it was never officially Let's released before. Sorry, second to set to three never made it here officially yes. in English. Okay, I get it. I know. I probably agree with you at the end. But man, holy shit! That actually got an official localization. Yeah, kind of, kind of like uh, *Romancing Saga* three in that same yeah. sense. It's just like a game yeah. that has had a fan translation, um, and the second second to three translation is one of like the earlier ones. Um, so it's been around yeah. for a while, and it's a pretty good one, especially for the time it came out. Uh, and so the, the fact that it finally did come out is something of a of a miracle, maybe. Um, but I'm not sure if it's we can't call that top 10 for this year, really. Yeah, I, 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 I know, man. But it was cool, though. It was a nice surprise. Okay. James? Um, I'm just going to say Digimon Story Cyber Sleuth Complete Edition needs to get cut. I do understand that there have been some changes made to both games. And it's actually really cool how you can kind of like transfer your Digimon between both games because they're on the same save file now, which is kind of neat. But it's like... Hacker's Memory already came out. The original Cyber Sleuth already came out. This is great for people to want to play both of them and get some extra bonuses from, but it's not a new game. It's just a slightly a slightly tweaked compilation of both of these games that have been out for a couple years now. Okay, yeah. 
All right, I'll cut mm, the Sky of War Complete Plus because it's kind of it's a re-release. Doesn't really do anything new. So it's nice that it came out again, but it's the same game. Um, I also don't even think that's the best entry in the series, to be honest. Yeah, yeah I agree with you on that one. So that's my cut. All right, we'll link back up to Alex. What's next? Uh, I would cut Persona Q2. It's fine. It's fine. But I just, there's, it, it doesn't really bring anything new to the table that, that the first Persona Q game didn't do. Acknowledge you know, that the Persona it, 3 female protagonist exists again. That is true, and that is cool. Um, and it, it, But that also just reminds me how it's sort of bullshit that they have never gone down that path again. I think it yeah. would be really cool if they'd done that with 4 and 5. Anyway, I just, yeah, I, I, it's, it's, it's a good game. It's the same thing that I said about Damon X Machina, actually, where I'm like, it's a solid 7 out of 10 game, but the, our top 10 is going to be really, you know, the real, the real, real, shockingly good stuff right 2019 was a really good year for rpgs yes all right george uh i would have to go i I sung its praises earlier um but cadence of hyrule uh really fun really good soundtrack really uh innovative well as a sequel really cool but i wouldn't say it touches a lot of the games here um so that'd be my pick yeah, yeah, you're right. Probably right. All right, Cadence Viral. I was just breaking my heart today. All right, Brian, are you going to break my heart? Uh, is this allowed? Uh, every uh-huh. other game from this list that I've, that I've played this year, I feel like I could contend to be in the top 10. Uh, there's some other games on this list that I haven't played that I would feel bad nixing. Like, for instance, Remnant from yeah. the Ashes. Like, is is that something anyone feels strongly about? I don't. I feel bad just saying let's take it off because I haven't played it. But I've no, heard it's I, a really I, good multiplayer. I, I played. But... Yeah, I played a lot of it. I I I like it, but it's not like I don't think it's top ten even for me. It has, does a lot of really cool stuff. Um, just going it from the Dark Siders, the three devs, you know, the gunfire games. Yeah, I, believe. I, I, I don't uh, mean to, I don't mean to punt punt no, my no. choice. No, Every, no, everything no. else that's currently on. No, so our list, almost everything they got on this killed. list in the first place is a good game that's probably worth playing. Yeah, yeah, apart from Anthem, which we put on as a joke, you know, like this is it. Everything on this list is 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 the real shit, you know. Yeah, yeah. Right, so yeah. out of the games that I've played on this list, the one that I think is the weakest is probably Greedfall, but I do kind of want to fight for that to sneak into the top 10. So I, I don't feel comfortable to saying, let's take it off now. So okay. I'm going to pass on taking off anything else. I, at this point, I want to argue for what I want to keep in. Wait, so, so do, do, you, do you want to take out Remnant or no? Uh, I'll, I'll leave that I, to you. I, 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 think we should, I think we should I think we should. lose that. I, again, I've played this. I think it's a solid little, like, F... Uh, I, I play, like, 25 to 30 hours of it. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah, but it's not... It's not trucking with stuff like Fire Emblem or or whatever. Right? It's 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 a really once again like it's a really cool foundation. If they decide to like expand on the idea, it could turn into something really special. They, it, there's a lot of I, I commend them for like being very open with the community about like you know the, the updates of the game and whatnot, and the way you reroll worlds and the way you kind of you know kind of go into other people's uh, instances of their worlds. 
like get the loot that you want uh, because they rolled that. It's that's a really neat idea, but like it's it doesn't do anything like really new when it comes to like actual gameplay. It's it's not super engaging in the gameplay aspect. It, 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 I think it really has a weak start as well because every time you new, you roll a new world, you always have to go through that drab, dry like ruined city, and that's like, and that and that part is always like the always the thing that makes me roll my eyes. Like, oh, I have to go through this shit again, and uh, think about like how do I traverse it to get to other cool worlds, you know? So I think it's a really cool idea, but I don't think it it hangs. All right, Adam. Just to note, we've cut out, mm-hmm. what, 11 games? Or we've cut right. out 10 games, and we have 30 left, so we still have to cut out 20 more. Right? Yeah, and the, the thing, this is the thing is, it's it's easier to cut at the start, and then the yeah. deeper you get, the more and more painful it gets. Yeah. All right, I'm kind of getting to the point where, like, the games I have played, some of the, most of them I would probably argue might be in the top 10 and then there's a bunch of games i haven't played or it's i kind of want to we're getting to the point where we kind of have to like question like why is this on the list and someone has to defend it okay um, go but, for it. but actually the game i want to cut probably is etrian odyssey again so etrian odyssey nexus like i mentioned before it's kind of like this compilation fan game where it doesn't really add anything new to the etrian odyssey series it's basically just like here is more of what you like and if you like it, you will like this game. But it it's not it it's not a really a new like experience. It's just kind of like throwing a bone to fans of that game. And it's a really good dungeon crawler series with a really good job system, but it's just another entry. If you're a huge fan of Etrian Odyssey, I can see how it might be someone's personal game of the year, but I don't think from an well, nothing's objective, but I think that if we're talking about like games that could stand on their own merits. I don't think Etrian Odyssey Nexus really can gel with someone unless they have at least a couple of Etrian Odyssey games under their belt. Yeah, I agree. Okay, James. I'm going to cut Astral Chain. Ooh. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Any objections to that? (laughs) This is the thing, though. I see it, and I'm just like... uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. A good game, though. Very good game. Um, yeah, oh, I absolutely love it. I absolutely love it. I I loved it, but then once I got like the last couple of missions of that game, I really started to see how Josh could give it a seven, and it's like, yeah, yeah. I think it was a really cool idea, to, like to break from the platinum norm and actually you know have investigation type things. I kind of really in like the thing that really stands out to me in that game when I when when I look back on it is. You remember that uh, second hub area with the with, like kind of in, in the ghetto um, when you're when you're with that side quest with the kids and whatnot. And you have to pick out which kid uh, is like the like the culprit or whatever. And you have to look at their, their their bios to pick out which kid was which. That was really fucking cool how they incorporated like you know it, like UI elements of the investigation into like yeah, the side quest. Cool. Yeah, I, like, I think my biggest problem with Astral Chain though is mm-hmm. that it's a game that really holds that torch like pretty much every Platinum Games title, it's like they want you to replay it multiple times. Yeah. The problem with Astral Chain is, though, is that your first playthrough is going to take you like 20 hours. And I'm not sure if you... Because the game itself really starts to drag its heels at the Mm -hmm. end, I feel like. And I don't think you... I Well, I personally, I just didn't want to touch it again, like immediately after finishing it. 
and I really don't think the game's overall structure fits the uh, obvious replayability that they had in mind. Right. Yeah. I, oh, man. I, I, it, does, it doesn't belong in the top 10. I mean, I've already said my qualms about it in my review. But it's it, it was an interesting thing for them to try to branch out. I just don't think it hit all the right notes. But I agree with that. Um, I'll cut out... Um, hmm. I'll cut out Sekiro Shadows Die Twice because we kind of nominated it, or we kind of won our best non-RPG or commendation on our non-RPG, and this is kind of a top 10 list of RPGs for RPG site. I love it. Yeah, yeah I'd agree with that. I'd say but... if it was a top 10 or even like top 5 list for games in general this year, it would have a really like almost like guaranteed slot, but as an RPG, yeah. it doesn't really fit now. Yeah, that's that's the weird part of being a genre site is we sort of have to draw the line somewhere, and we just kind of throughout the year decided that Sekiro just doesn't quite count. Even though we in another timeline we probably could have counted it, but we decided not to. Yeah, Ooh. we made the decision, and that's it. Okay, Alex, looping back uh, to you. Well, I'd cut either one or both of these Atelier games, but I don't know anything about. You know, well, I, I know about them, but I, I haven't played them, um, and I just I always feel like, always feel like that that tier of get those games sort of, and maybe these ones are different. You guys tell me, but I always feel like those that series that that sort of tier of games, they all sort of trundle along on on an even keel. They're all always fine, but yeah, never so remarkable. Liz reviewed both of these games, and I know her opinion as kind of like mm-hmm. our official Atelier reviewer, she's reviewed most of them, is that she liked Lalua more. And her general argument is that Lalua is the more polished game, but it's also like the fourth game in a sub-series. Ryza is a fresher game. It's the first in a new sub-series. But she didn't like it as much. It wasn't as polished or, or whatever. So... If yeah, right. I actually picked to Augusta in general for releasing three Atelier games this year. <laughs> oh, shit. I remember I mentioned that to you. You're like, wait, really? You're like, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah. They're it's they're like, it's nuts. It's all nuts. three of the games they released this year, even if they weren't the best, they were all generally considered good. Is like a fucking astonishment. Like, holy shit. Yeah. I actually picked up Ryza and like I just because they, they said hey there's a new thing like uh, a clean break and I put like maybe 20 25 hours into it it just never uh, jived with me you know like I can kind of see where they're going uh coming in from and like the new battle system and stuff but it it, it just still feels flat to me because there, there's just much more impressive games in terms of characters in terms of world like it it just it feels too it, like there's like cogs in the machine for that game, and just I don't know if it is for it is for the other Atelier games, but it's just like it's kind of going through the same beats that like I've seen in other JRPGs, but in a more generic manner. Just fine, like if people who like it like it, but Gene- just, generic and iterative, maybe. Yeah, maybe yeah. I mean, considering right. they're they're literally putting out more than one per year now. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's pretty. I, I, they might feel pretty assembly line. I mean, I don't know if that's the case, but I have to imagine they're putting out so many. All right, so if Alex is cutting out two games, are we cutting out two games as well now in this in this cycle? Well, I was just... They were both next to each other, and they're both the same series, so that's why I was just like, you know... I don't think okay. really have to 
cut out two at once now. I, I just cut out Ryza because I know like if Liz were here, that'd be the one she would cut first. So okay, all right, all right, George. I uh, I don't want to do this, but I'm, I think Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Really? You, you think I was going to cut out Kingdom Hearts? Then I, I can tell, but I'm no, I, I think start start. I loved it, but if in the same vein as Sekiro, not quite making it. I think there's a case to be made about Star Wars mm. not quite making it as wow. well. So you think that you think it might be an RPG genre definition issue? Yeah. Oh, not not a quality issue at all. Um, I but... also think, though, to be fair, like I was saying earlier, I just it's a bit, it's a bit safe. It's a bit like you know what it's like. It's like the video game equivalent of some good fast food. You know what I mean? It, it reminded me very much of so the same feeling you get of a Star Wars movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Made by um, what's the word Jay I'm looking Dave. for? Made by um, committed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, it's a shame because it is a really good game. But a lot of the games we've cut so far are still really good games. But it again, it doesn't hold a candle to some of the ones we've got left. Brian, you're up. How do we feel about God Eater? See, that, I don't, that, that entry kind of surprised me. I haven't me. seen a lot of dialogue about it. Well, Lucas is the one who reviewed it for us, and he just gave it a seven. So, like, he didn't love it. <laughs> he just thought it was okay. He's just like, it's an okay action. That, that, that's kind RPG. of the ongoing narrative. Like, I, yeah, I, I talked to Kite about it a little bit. It's like, it's, it's fine, you know? It's a God Eater game, but God Eater games aren't known for being cream of the crop. And that, that series is sort of... I, you know, this is going to piss people off. I know when I say this, but that series is sort of by its very nature is sort of um, discount brand Monster Hunter. <laughs> I, I agree with that. As someone that's played a bunch of these like Monster Hunter adjacent games, because well, love Monster Hunter, want to play more of them. Uh, God Eater has always stru- um, struck out to me. Well, stuck out to me as one of those games that didn't really have that much of an identity of its own. Like even Tokenen, like with Tokenen too, they kind of like changed things up quite a bit this was like last year and like soul sacrifice that had the whole storybook aesthetic and it's like more about the world building the actual story but god years always just felt like okay it's going to be anime monster hunter and honestly the combat's just never like stuck out to me as good either okay well i'm glad i'm glad that someone was able to substantiate me calling it out because i haven't played it but yeah, that's kind of the feeling that I got is that it's it's a Monster Hunter B series that doesn't have its own little twist on it that keeps it engaging, other than it, maybe its art style. Well, it has like like even then like customizing bullets and ch- like thinking of other things about it. It has like that um oh, I forgot like the consuming things. Whatever. Um, it's more like Fantasy Star Online in its combat system. Than yeah. But that. All right, so my uh, turn. Uh, mm-hmm. Is anyone going? So we're kind of at the point. First of all, just to note, we have twenty-four, and we have to cut out. So we have to cut out fourteen more. Um, is anyone going to bat for Destiny Two Shadowkeep as a top? In 10? another in another time, I might have, but you know, like I was so swamped when that game came out that I just haven't had a chance to play it yet. Yeah, and I also just I think I think the the bigger Destiny Two story is the. The conversation we had about ongoing support, 
more than the actual game itself. I mean, thing about Shadow Keep, and this mm-hmm. isn't even necessarily about Shadow Keep, but like New Light, which is like the rebrand they had for the game when it went free to play. I think in a in a certain way they kind of botched that in the sense that you have to go to a specific NPC that's not pointed out to you to play any of these story campaigns that were in the game before Shadowkeep. And I think the overall structure of that game has been kind of muddled a bit by the uh, push to free to play. And I think Shadowkeep kind of is, it's kind of caught under that shadow, the rest of the issues with the Destiny 2 experience, especially for new players right now. It is it is weird because after you do that tutorial with the new light, like they give you almost like very little no guidance, and they're kind of um, banking on you with your friends or people you know to give you that guidance instead. Finally, the um, the uh, comparisons to Warframe make sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm I, I'm I'm not opposing Shadowkeep. Uh, getting off there, uh, James. Uh, I'm gonna cut Pokemon. Oh, wow. Okay. What a surprise. Yeah, uh, no, I think, yeah, I think, you know, it's, I've warmed on it a lot because when I was reviewing it, I was, I was really pissed off of it a lot of the time. And then over time, it definitely grew on me in a big way. And I definitely think there there are some ways in which it's the best um, and really ambitious but uh, in too many ways, it is just not enough. Now, I'm going to bring up something. Last year, I believe we gave Let's Go a slot in the top five. Is that correct? Like, how do yes, you feel about did. that juxtaposition? I feel like the reason why Let's Go was a standout that year is that it was deliberately different from every other Pokemon game that had come before. The mo- It was more like comparable to Pokemon Go than the original two games that it was a remake of. I think the thing with Pokemon Sword and Shield is that it doesn't do enough new. So when you compare it to other games in the series, because it cuts out so much of what made those games special and doesn't have enough to stand out on its own, I think, at least, it just... It's harder to look at it and say, hey, this does something really interesting. And uh, Sorry to interrupt you, but I think... What you're getting at, and I think it's totally a valid way of, of thinking about this, is when when we gave Let's Go the position that we gave it, it was because the we went into that game knowing absolutely clear what what the what that game was. They made clear what it was. They made clear that it was a, a stripped back entry level for people who've enjoyed Pokemon Go and for old fans who've been lapsed and stuff like that. I think one of the things is and you can't divorce a game from this sort of context, or at least not so close to launch. They sort of promised the world with Sword and Shield that it was going to be the the big the big Pokemon game of our dreams, and it just wasn't. Basically, it just wasn't. It just didn't live up to the things they talked about. In some areas, you could see, you could see the start of what they were going for, but in the end, it didn't live up to what they talked about. It's like. I even said in my review, like, Sword and Shield does some things that are really cool, but it doesn't do enough of them. It's like a return to normalcy when it was supposed to be, quote-unquote, something exciting, where instead it felt just like, here's Generation 7, here it is. I'm not even sure if return to normalcy is the right way of putting it. 
but either way even, even that's all, too much yeah i think all of us agree that it isn't a top 10 game making Pokemon right. I, just, I just i just i just wanted to add, i i wanted to at least bring up the fact that yeah you it's, know, it's good it's the, good the, 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 the comparison between let's go yeah. and this and it and i alex i think definitely spoke to it very well yeah all right and all right, that loops oh i think it's my turn um you know what because you know once again rpg site rpgs ai the somnian files i you know it's not an rpg really it's uh yeah and i, I understand it is very good it, yeah like i've i've yet to complete it i've played I, to play it. It. I, I hear very good things about it but it's just it's kind of like if we had like 999 or virtue's last reward in the top 10 for an rpg site it's like very good games, but not an RPG. Yeah. All right. Looping back around to Alex. I suppose on the same um, on the same lines as you, Adams just highlighted it. It would be the house in Fata Morgana, or however you pronounce that. Um, you pronounce it right. That's on. It's on my list of things that I want to get around to, but the same because I I understand that it's very very good. But again, are we gonna are we gonna put visual novels in this list unless they are like earth shatteringly good? And as far as I'm my understanding is, it's very good, but it's not like a ten out of ten visual novel, right? Um, actually, I'd say it's probably one of like the top five visual novels of all time. But I do agree with it being cut. The one thing I do want to say though, for anyone listening, is even if you're not a big fan of visual novels, even if you haven't given them a shot, I think Fata Morgana has something to its overall aesthetic and its storytelling that no other visual novels does. In the sense, it's very Western inspired. It doesn't have any, for lack of a better term, anime bullshit. Even if you're not a fan of, of like visual novels, I think that you owe it to yourself to give Fata Morgana a try because it's a very special visual novel that even if you're not a fan of the genre, you might find yourself enjoying it quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. from what I've heard, um, Fata Morgana is like a type of visual novel that you can show to someone or have someone who like absolutely detests anime in general, the art style or whatever, and they might like it. <laughs> um, unlike even like <laughs> unlike even like Nine Nine Nine, which is still very anime but still very yeah, yeah. beloved. Apparently, Fata Morgana, from what I understand, is like not it's very western like uh what's the word big goth mood yeah <laughs> okay um george Oof, it's getting uh pretty difficult now um this is one I'd more well, question actually I'll, I'll go after george no go ahead go ahead i was just gonna say we're down to 20 so cutting at this point I think would feel more difficult than maybe turning the other way and saying, what, what is going to make it? What, what's what, what, like, let's, let's say Fire Emblem, let's just pull it out and say, it's going to make it a top 10. You know what I mean? Like I think, maybe, I think maybe now is the point where I, we pivot. I think that's reasonable at 20 left to start picking yeah. out the ones that okay. people make. All right. Better. All right. So the lead the charge with Fire Emblem, probably going to make it. So, yep. No question. Yep. yep. Shadowbringers probably gonna make it. Link's Awakening. Yeah. Yes and yes. I don't know if I think Link's Awakening. 
But here's what I'd do is on our list, I realize listeners can't can't see this list, but I would the stuff that we're talking about, let's move it to the top. And then if stuff gets dragged out of the top ten, then you know what I mean? Yeah. Okay, so to, to recap right now, our list at the moment is Atalia Lalua, Bloodstained, Ritual of the Night, Disco Elysium, Dragon Quest Builders 2, Dragon Quest 11 S. Uh, FF14 Shadowbringers, Fire Emblem Three Houses, Greedfall, Indivisible, Judgment, Kingdom Hearts 3, Link's Awakening, Monster Hunter World, Iceborne, Ringfit Adventure, Romantic Saga 3, Saga Scarlet Grace Ambitions, uh, G Generation Cross Race, Super Rebel Wars T, Trails of Cold Steel 3, and The Outer Worlds. So, in ra- right now, uh, at this point of the del- deliberations, we're picking now, not no longer cutting things necessarily, but picking ones that are for sure going to probably make the top 10, like, no questions asked. I would like to say The Outer Worlds. Um... Okay, so just to recap, someone decided to put Shadowbringers in our top 10 without mentioning it verbally, so we're considering that top no, 10. Someone, someone mentioned so, it. I, I did. I, did. Oh, I, Josh I did. missed it. I mentioned it. Yeah. Um, anyone else want to pitch for a game that should probably be in that top 10? This guy lays him. Yes. I will say I think Judgment should be there. Uh, yeah. Sure. I, yeah. Not too... no, but if there's, if there's objections, then we can leave it for now. I, I think that that's one of those ones that let's take a look back at it once yeah. we're like near the end of our top 10 and see if, how we think about it compared to other games. I think Saga Scarlet Grace is top 10. Yeah. Okay. Yes. I I want to fight with all of my heart for Kingdom Hearts, but I know I'm the only one here who's like enamored of it, and even I, I don't think it's perfect. So I, you know, I'm not, I'm not. I don't want to put it up there yet. I want to see what else comes up, but I'm not against the idea of it being in the top ten. I want to say. Same. Yes. Um, all right. So who's next? I think I'm the only one that hasn't. Nominated one for, I think we, I think we, I think I think we thrown out like order out the window. Once okay. we, once um, we, once we, well, well I know what you're gonna say. Me, um, me. I'm or... going to throw a curveball and say Dragon Quest Builders too. I was actually I, eyeballing that, that. That is not what I thought you were gonna say, but I also agree. I also totally agree. Speaking of, is no one gonna mention uh, Dragon Quest? So uh, that's see, I'm not sure. See, it's an interesting question now, and it's basically just an update release. Okay, so Dragon Quest Eleven S. I played it. It actually doesn't. It adds a lot of small things, like a lot of quality of life type of things, um, in terms of like playing the game 3D mode. and 3D mode. I guess so. Like, it doesn't have a ton of like brand new content. The the 2D mode stuff is the most significant of that. Um, it's a really, really good game, and we gave it a perfect ten on our in reviews twice. Uh, the only thing that I'm wondering is like, do we put it in our top ten again? Uh, like, I think the question is this in relation to that. Uh, in my opinion, the question is, how good is the stuff that they added? Like, is it is it so significant that oh. like it deserves to be a top ten? Or so the stuff is like it's. 
so the the stuff that is quote added is stuff that was in the 3ds version so it's not even like brand new technically it's again it's new to the west because we didn't get the 3ds version and the, the character stories weren't in the 3ds version uh, though, right i'll get to those i think the character story things were you 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 from start to finish it's like two and a half three hours it's not and the game is like 90 so it's not a lot um the, the 3ds stuff is mostly like fan servicey like for fans of the series it, there's literally like you revisit the worlds from dragon quest one through ten and so it's kind of a fun nostalgia trip in terms of of revisiting characters and scenes and like key scenes from past games like for example in dragon quest five you revisit the scene where you pick your wife um and scenes like that but it's it's really more just kind of like a fun nod to fans it's kind of a like a fan service sort of thing the the character stories themselves i can kind of take it or leave it they don't i don't think they really add a ton they're kind of just fillerish two hours diversion they're okay. Do you think it? Do you think it deserves its its props for this re-release again, or do you think it's fine as it was? Like, I mean, the, the, being the the Switch version is clearly better due to all the quality of life things, like the sped up battle uh, battle speed um, and other different uh, functions that you can access now. Um, you have you have things like the, your 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 party travels behind you, so it's kind of a fun little visual thing, but it's it's still a really good game and we it was like our runner up last year the, the, yeah i was I, gonna say some context for the for the podcast is that last year it basically got runner up on pretty much a coin flip between this and monster hunter world so and like you said two 10 out of 10s well we Sorry, can come back to, to this that. but on, on that topic i think i think iceborne has to be in the top 10 yep yeah, I think Iceborne definitely. Because I think this is the thing. We've got so many obvious ones. It's going to come down to a fight for the last few spots. Yep. Mm. So just to recap, we have picked seven. So we have three more to pick out of 13 left. Here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to put stick my neck out there and say this. I would love, I don't hold any illusions about it making the top five but i would love to have ring for adventure in our top 10 because i just think it's such a clever funny silly idea i, I think it makes no great fun. use of rpg mechanics and it i is. think and i think it it, it, it the, the the really the real triumph of it is is obviously nintendo's done fitness stuff before and obviously we fit was huge but the thing about those is they still felt like like fitness applications Ring Fit Adventure doesn't feel like that. It just feels like a video game. You just happen to be playing it in this specific, strange way. It is the most successful out of uh, out of those fitness experiments of gamifying. Um, I think there's something. What's that? I think there's something to be said for how creative it is. I think it's de- definitely worth in the top ten, not top five. I know it, we don't it, do that order. It, but... it, it, it also, you know. The, the way they, pre- they present it, instead of like a like a board like they did with V-Fit, it's just a Pilates ring and you have your Joy-Cons and that's your setup and everything else is kind of, you know, it's it's done. It's, it's not like a complicated setup or whatever. And you, it's also, it's kind of doing that doing that dual role of like gamifying it, but as well, it could be, if you, if you want to go that fitness route of like, um, it has 
other other applications to it, even outside of the game. Like you can still use a Pilates ring; it'll still track it. And there's like clever ways to like get that experience that you or quote unquote experience that you can transfer over to like the the other mode uh, just by do it, taking it at your own pace. I, I think it it is it definitely earns a, a spot in the top ten in my book as well because it's it's such an unusually strange but successful thing. Like it's 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 a, it's a weird weird. It has no right being as good as it is. Yes. I'm fine with that. So we oh, have boy. it in the top ten for now, but there is clearly kind of a gap between the first seven and the last three. Yeah, I mean, if we can... If we need to, we can change our mind, you know, on if something we decide comes later or whatever. So we're putting it in our top ten for now. I'm going to make a, a quick cut of Romancing Saga 3 just to get it out of our selection pool. It's a nice that we got it. It's apparently a really solid game. I've played other Saga games, so I kind of know what I think to expect. But to put it into top 10 this year would be kind of silly, I think. Yeah, fine. Does something that's specifically different compared to Romancing Saga 3. And I think it's kind of a similar situation to Collection of Mana, where it's like, yeah, it's cool that we got it, but... It's okay. I'll take it off everyone's hands. Cut my giant robot games of Crossrays and Super Robot Wars T. Um, I, I, I will say Crossrays, like you know, it's not you know game of the year material, or whatever. It's probably gonna make my personal list because which is weird because SD the SD Gundam series for the, for this have never really been like super amazing, and Crossrays really isn't that amazing as well. Well, can I interrupt you way, real quick? Yeah, I'm yeah, curious. Yeah. These are because just just I'm ignorant. These are both. Strategy RPGs, strategy RPGs, yes. Both of them. Okay, and yeah, yes, both of them, and the, they're they're pretty different. Um, Crossrays definitely um, focuses more like kind of like Pokemon, where you kind of evolve, uh, level up uh, your giant robots, and then they can be evolved into other uh, giant robots, and then the cycle appears again. Um, the one thing they really up in uh, this series uh, this year uh, is just the attack animations. And they really, really went out of their way. Like it's, it's amazing because this game has like easily over like four hundred fifty plus uh, robots, and like they all, they're, they're all pretty decent about like their attack animations. And that's a big far cry from Genesis that came out two years ago for the series, and that was still in line with the old style where they barely moved outside of um, a, a few special ones. Just the way they kind of choreographed. And uh, made all the little touches in this game are. I, I've sunk more into this game hours wise than ninety percent of the games this year, and that's just. I don't know. That's a testament to like just how good it is, like for me. But it's not. It's not something I recommend for any sane person. And Super Robot Wars is still Super Robot Wars. So yeah. I was I was originally gonna fight for Greedfall to sneak in the top ten, but looking at what we have left to choose from, I think I would feel guilty in in subbing out something. Oh yeah, I, mean, I don't know. So I, I I'm okay pulling it out. Um, yeah. Now Greed, Greedfall, I do think has a lot of strengths, especially in terms of character interaction with the main story. Like pretty much on every quest, the companion characters will chime in with stuff that is important to them, and not at like certain spots where side character A always speaks here and side character B always speaks here. Like if they have a relevant knowledge or opinion of a situation, they will chime in and talk. 
And I think that was one of the most impressive things about that. It actually does. Reflux. It actually does that better than Outer Worlds, in my opinion. Like the actual way the characters actually but interact. It has, it has a lot of other. It has a lot of other shortcomings in terms of its performance, in terms of reused assets. It's very much Dragon Age Two in terms of this building looks exactly like the other three buildings, and like which obviously I don't want to grade too harshly, but I think it has a lot of momentum for for Spiders, the, the developer, but. Looking at the competition this year, I just don't think it's top 10. Though I do want to say that I think it is better than it had any right to be or what people were expecting. I do think people who are fans of Bioware, Bethesda, even CD Projekt type Western style RPGs should try it, but not top 10. It's it's an okay to, to slant good game, not a great game. So I know we're not cutting games anymore, but... Actually, we kind of are. Kinda... We're kind of just... Yeah. Whatever is easier. If you think it's easier to... But we have so we have eight that we are that are currently in our top ten, and we have what eight that are not in the top ten that we're still deciding between. So yeah. whatever you think is yeah. easier, um, go ahead if you have one in mind. There's a specific game I want to cut, but I don't want to be the one to cut it. I'll wait until that time comes. But for now, I think Bloodstained should be axe off. Yeah, I was actually eyeing that too. Yeah. I played yeah. Bloodstained. It's so I don't. I haven't played really any castlevanias i've played a lot of metroids but not castlevania so i don't have much context in terms of like how it compares to those directly but i felt it was like an okay metroid structure rpg side scroller like it's fine but i actually didn't think it was like special so i think i think it's just it's more impressive that it came together at the end because of the lead up to release it disastrous uh it's not a mighty number nine it's not a mighty number nine thing uh thankfully um it, it is very impressive in the in terms of like how many unique attack special effects animations they got like every single like ability in that game has its own unique animation and that's really something crazy and but in, in terms of just like what it's uh nodding to what it's uh, calling back to it's been a good while since we had like a decent castlevania game and this definitely not like a super top-tier Castlevania game, but even a decent Castlevania game is something to be commended at this day and age, but it, I don't think it really hangs with the competition that we're uh, whittling it down to here. But it is... Th- thankfully, it is a good game. I also, a great game. Yeah, I it's... Yeah. I also think we can safely cut Atelier La Lua now. Like, it's not going to make it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. This is a hard list. So, the two left that I have had more experience with would be Link's Awakening and Kingdom Hearts. Um, and they're both two games I would fight to see on a top ten list. Uh, right. The others, you guys tell me. Um, okay, let me open the can of worms. A couple of years ago, we had a big discussion about Trails in the Sky the third. And it ended up in our top ten, not our top five. Um... Trails of Cold Steel 3, I feel like it probably has similar um, qualifications. So I have not played it. I've played the first two games, but not the third one. It's, 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 so, the, it's the best one out of that of the of the Cold Steel series. And I've heard that from like many places. So that does not seem to be a an outlier opinion. Um, but I think we've had three people who've played it. So go ahead. Um, should it be in the top okay. ten or not? I don't think it should be in the top ten. And 
It might sound weird since I fought so hard for Trails in the Sky the Third in 2017, but there's a very specific reason for it. Trails in the Sky the Third only required two other games for you to play, and it didn't end on a cliffhanger. Like, no spoilers, but Cold Steel 3's ending is probably the biggest cliffhanger in a game I've ever seen. And that also rules out Kingdom Hearts 3, then. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess. I, mean, I don't know. Um, well, King, Kingdom well, Hearts 3's depends. cliffhanger is more uh, is more narratively designed like a cliffhanger, where Cold Steel 3 is almost like cut out in the middle of a scene cliffhanger. Like, abrupt, harsh, it ends now cliffhanger. Like, that, that's the scene could have continued. Cold Steel 1 and 2. That's the, that, that's the weird part about it. But yeah, anyway, it is very similar to one. Like I said in my review, the most of it, most of the enjoyment I got out of Cold Steel Three was from the portions of the game that we're building on, not just necessarily Cold Steel One and Two, but even like Trails in the Sky and the Crossbell duology. And so, like, and those games are not in English officially, so no, yeah, and. Even if they were, that's five other other games besides Cold Steel One and Two that I feel like you should play before you play Cold Steel Three to get the best experience out of it. And I know NIS America says, "Oh, you can start with Cold Steel Three. I'm sorry, fucking but bullshit. Frankly, that's bullshit. That's bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> that's fucking bullshit." But it's like, like I felt like I was teetering on the very edge, not having played Crossbell. Like I was able to kind of glean it, but if I had to do that for the first. 25 hours of the game instead of that one chapter i would have it just it doesn't so matter. i guess i guess it really boils down to cold steel 3's like setbacks is because one it has a very high barrier of entry two it ends off on a very big cliffhanger ending now speaking to the quality of the game itself like it's the best in the cold steel like sub-series but so Again. my I I'm just going to just say I have not played Cold Steel 3 so maybe my opinion is invalid but I am definitely not as big of a fan of the first two Cold Steel games that a lot of people seem to be like they're just kind of average to me mm-hmm. they're just they're fine they're I think they're a big step down from Sky in my opinion I, 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 like reason, I, I was I like, never go for it The reason I liked Cold Steel 3 more than Cold Steel 1 and 2 is because it reminded me more of the uh, kind of storytelling style that Turtles in the Sky and the Crossbell games had that I felt like Cold Steel 1 and 2 lacked. That being that you had a more centralized cast of characters that you're focusing the majority of the storytelling on. You have New Class 7, which for the majority of the game is only four or five characters large. Whereas in Cold Steel 1 and 2, you had these you had the big class seven, which was like what something like eleven characters by the end of Cold Steel two. Yeah, it was know. already larger, and then they add to it at the through through the two games. Yeah, like Cold Steel three benefits from its quote unquote smaller like cast size, even though you do get like glimpses of of class seven, like the original class seven, and I think generally they're handled a bit better than they were in Cold Steel one and two. But again, it just comes down to the fact that, like, I think the thing with Kingdom Hearts is that it's already a clusterfuck of a story to the extent that people don't expect you, even if you have played all the other games in the series, to understand what's going on. Cold Steel 3, no, you can understand what's going on, but you have to play seven other games first. Yeah. 
I would also say, um, in regards, I, I don't know much about Cold Steel, but with Kingdom Hearts 3, I would recommend it based on the gameplay. It uh, is fun to play. Gameplay stands up. Yeah. Um, so I think it would come ahead on that. And, and like really Cold Steel 3 is fine to play, but like its battle system is not like a big step up from the other two, you know? It, I think it's that, a great battle system. I think the main thing that's holding me back for Cold Steel 3 is that cliffhanger. Like, Cold Steel 3 sets up a lot of things, and I don't want to say definitively that Cold Steel 4 doesn't follow up on those because it's not out in English yet, but everything I've heard talking to people that have played Cold Steel 4 is that they were distinctly disappointed, and I don't want to put Cold Steel 3 on a top 10 list for this year if we haven't seen the conclusions to the story that it's setting up. Let me try to let me try to rationale this a little bit. I on one hand, I kind of feel like judging the cliffhanger so strongly itself kind of feels weird when if you have like 90 hours of game ahead of that or whatever and then like in the last hour it just cliffhangs like is it really does that really overset the other 90 hours you played? But on the other hand, what what this actually kind of reminds me of, and I don't know if this will make this comparison will make any sense at all. Do you remember the Pirates of the Caribbean movies? The second, Hell yeah. The second one? Like, mm-hmm. the second one, uh, Dead Man Chest or whatever, it yeah. also has, like, this really stark cliffhanger. And I thought that movie was fine. Like, it's good. And then the third Pirates of the Caribbean movie, movie came out, and it was, like, god-awful so bad. <laughs> that, that was it, at World's End, right? Yeah. Terrible. And it basically, by association, everything that was set up in the first, in, in the second movie... It kind of just falls flat too because the third movie was so bad. So I could I sort of understand why a cliffhanger could be such a detriment if the follow up if it doesn't follow through. Because... I know that it isn't totally fair to Cold Steel Three because again, Cold Steel Four isn't in English. It's not even technically announced for a localization yet. But I've heard enough from people that have imported it, and like so many people that like there's a consensus from the people that have played it in Japanese that even if they still enjoyed it as a game, it was a disappointment as a follow-up to Cold Steel 3, and I don't want to put Cold Steel 3 in our top 10 list. If there is even the chance that Cold Steel 4 is going to retroactively make what I enjoyed about Cold Steel 3 worse. I can kind of understand that uh, viewpoint. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, unrelated to everything. I just want to say that. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I'm going to cut Indivisible so we're not considering it. I think we oh, talked man. about it. I think we talked about its merits from its art and animation, but I think as an RPG it actually kind of fails. It's it's very weird. It does have a weird, yes. It has a very weird balancing yeah. case. I don't know I don't think if, if they uh re- like made updates to, it to rectify it, but the, definitely the the difficulty curve in that game is it makes no fucking sense. It's, at, it's at old school. It's like a it's like a yeah. It's like a Famicom era. Yeah. But, like, I don't know if this makes sense, but as I was playing the game, the progression in, like, the stat progression, like, the actual numerical RPG progression in Indivisible didn't really make sense to me. In fact, like, most of your stats go up not by battles, but by, like, certain events in the story would basically boost your HP and attack numbers and defense numbers, like, if you just got far enough. So it felt like... The, the, all the battling you were doing almost didn't matter because you get all the, you get these boosts during the story, 
And it sort it made things kind of feel fake to me. Like, why am I just why am I even doing these battles if I'm just going to get a big boost in numbers at story events? And it felt just kind of awkward. Like it it didn't really gel with me. So. I just I kind of just enjoyed the battle system enough to not really worry about the, that. I understand where you're coming from, but to, to me it's just uh, like I, I like the battle system enough to like uh, experiment with juggling, going to the training dummy, and seeing like what different characters and their chemistries work with one another and, and kind of exploiting like attack cycles in it. it that, that process was fun for me. I can see if people stuck with like a quote unquote main party in that game, like fervently and like did like um, a tried and true method of one size fits all party. I can, I can see that for sure. And why it feels fake in progression that I, I do, I do understand that it is very weird that like the leveling up in that game is more story progression. Like after, um, the story event of like when um, like the big 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 battle that like ha- kind of had your characters riding in between these two big giants and after that big boost it like difficulty just progression fell apart in that game even like the, the most annoying thing about um, late game in that game was just the final boss phases and that's it but yeah I, I guess I see it I see it. I can see. I see the case uh, made against it. I don't. I don't necessarily disagree with it. Man, um, I think at this point, is anyone gonna make a strong case for Judgment? I, I fucking love Judgment. I th- I, th- I think the biggest uh, bummer about it was they never. Um, I forgot his name. They never bring up a very logical character from the Yakuza series that would fit in there in in the in the. In the, since the the nature of cops and investigations are so uh, intertwined in that game, I cannot remember the name off the top of my head because he would just be a logical fit to even mention that game, and that was never brought up in that game. But I, I think the like them trying to branch out uh, and separate themselves from the Yakuza series by really making a, a very compelling protagonist and uh, the way you kind of uh, go about the investigations, along with you know. Even outside of the game, the, their efforts to make a separate subtitle track that'll match what's being said in Japanese over just dub titles, that's like tremendous for me. That's such a, a very con- careful consideration, localization that you don't really see anywhere. That's fucking amazing. Yeah, that's actually really cool. Um, I think I can gel with Judgment being in the top 10. Like, I actually completely forgot about that, but like, even if it's not the best yakuza game it's it is attempting something different from what i can tell it's a still a very good game yeah the performances are still and, and like the, it, they even added an english dub and the english dub fucking fantastic yeah i could see it i could see a case for that actually so what about Link's awakening i'm trying to, i'm trying to find the lowest hanging fruit is what i'm trying to do I think I'd rather have Kingdom Hearts 3 in the top 10 than Link's Awakening. I think I agree with that, because Link's Awakening is a very competent remake of a classic game, but it doesn't really, aside from the art, which we've already uh, talked about and awarded, it doesn't really do too much that's very exciting. And actually, I think a lot of the additions are sort of pretty naff, like the Dungeon Builder's crap. I was just going to say, the Dungeon Builder was so so crap. Like considering they have a chance, they could have had a chance to have Zelda make a light there. It, it, they're just—I'd rather not have it in the game than have a bad edition. And it was a bad. Edition. 
Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, I so think comes... uh, looking at our list now, we have two more spots in our top ten, and we're kind of considering three more games. Uh, one, of the, we've already talked about these each: Dragon Quest Eleven S, Judgment, or Kingdom Hearts Three. Uh, I guess we're sort of. I'm already considering Cold Steel Three to be out of the running, although. Yeah. Unless someone really fights for it to rebound here, it doesn't seem like it'll make it. I don't think it'll make it. No. So. I think. So. I think generally we have a good idea for a top 10 because Dragon Quest 11s again it's it does have additions it is the well it is the best version of the game value the... clearly i mean performance is the only thing obviously it can't compete with a pc so but if if we're i feel like the reason why we want to recommend why we want to put it in the top 10 is because of how good it is but, but we did award that last year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're clearly only considering its merits as a re-release here, not the game quality. Like, clearly. That's In which instance, I think the final two are Judgment and Kingdom Hearts. That seems very fair to me. Yeah. Cool. yeah I'm agreed with that. You know, on, its, on, its, on its face, it seems like a weird omission, but with the discussion we've had, I think it does make sense. All right. Sounding like we have our top ten then. Well, okay, so if anyone has any wants to do any last-minute switch, now is the time to do it. Get the little something with the switch. I think this top 10 is... I, I think this is good. Yeah, I like it. The difficult part now is this. Um... Hold on, before we, <laughs> before we move on, let's uh, just for the listeners, this is uh, in no ranking whatsoever right now uh this is in our consideration for like uh these are the top 10 games but we're gonna do the the split on like what'll be on the lower five the top five right now uh at the moment the these games are fire emblem three houses final fantasy 14 Shadowbringers, the outer worlds disco elysium saga scarlet grace ambitions dragon quest builders 2 monster Hunter world iceborne ring fit adventure Judgment and Kingdom Hearts three. So from then on, right now we're trying to figure out the the lower five and the upper five. What's it gonna be? Who, who's who's making the top five? So, I think Fire Emblem has always kind of had a place in the top five. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then in the bottom five, uh, we sort of said about it earlier: Ring Fit Adventure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a split top and bottom thing. I think yeah, uh, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, well, I'd say um, Disco Elysium's got to be in the top five. Yes. Yeah. 100% yeah. agree. From how you guys have talked about it. Shadowbringer's probably in that top five. I'm not so sure about that, but I'm, I'm, guess, I'm guessing, James, you would say... Uh, Scarlet Grace has got to be in the top five. Um, yeah. So I'm just going to talk to my talk, speak to my about myself here for a minute. Scarlet Grace is okay. I have only played about 20 hours of it. I have not beaten a storyline yet. There are four of them, and personally, to my taste as an RPG player, it might be one of my favorite RPGs, not of this year, but of the last few years. Like it really nails a certain like style of rpg 
um, in its mechanics and its structure that is very, very unique. And there are no games like it. Like, I cannot think of a single game that is like this. You know yeah. what it reminds me of? Uh, of our discussion last year of Dragon Quest XI when we, th- when we were trying to figure out a winner and saying Dragon Quest XI really is a, a, a polished JRPG that, like, amps its, like, every aspect up to eleven. Like, it feels complete. It feels like a complete thought. It knows what it wants to do. And in that, in that same respect, Saga Starlight Grace knows exactly what it wants to do, but it's willing to make the sacrifice not to have, like, all the little flourishes and distractions on the side. It's like, it knows exactly what it wants its players to experience and what it wants to highlight. So it it, it sacrifices a lot of, like, meanderings of what makes a grand RPG in the sense of, like, oh, here you can have, like, here's your fishing mini game, here's, like, your gambling casino, here's your, you know, big open towns they can mingle with, like, you know, NPCs and, like, learn about their lives. Sorry, Scarlet is just like, you know Fuck that, you know? I like, think the here's most it. extra thing it does is the product, yeah, the production side quest mm-hmm. where you're literally facilitating trade and you're learning like interesting like world building tidbits about how these different like produce, like these different things that you're actually helping create are made. And then you're also finding out a bit about the culture of each of the different provinces in the game's world. Okay. And it's like so neat. Okay, just to kind of explain it very briefly to anyone who may not know what it is structured like, very basically, Saga Scarlet Grace does not have dungeons or like explorable field areas. The entire game is a is a world map, kind of segmented world map, but a world map with little pop-ups on the map where you act, basically enter either menus that are cities or battles, and that is it. And basically what the design of the game is, is that they... They made a decision to cut the exploration part of like dungeons and cities and field areas to basically instead in that place build a branching open open ended world storyline structure for different protagonists with different storylines with also different um, from what I understand different types of progression too where one of the protagonists is a little bit more linear and in, in how is in how a story progresses where one is a little bit more open and kind of this branching rather than this linear narrative it's kind of just this world that you're set in and each character has their own little story that you kind of play out in this in that world and they this is only possible to have it done this way especially with the budget they had by not spending all those time and resources on things like dungeons so it's yeah a, it makes some it's really bold really decisions to, to to achieve a very specific result also like the what it really can't be understated just how much the world can change depending on your actions. Like there's several provinces where I've heard people talk about how there's like four or five different ways for things to turn out. And there's just, it's like every area feels like almost like its own self-contained puzzle. And it's your job to figure out what to do to get the most out of it. And there's various different ways of like, reaching that it, it, it's so interesting it's it's so. it's it's so funny also like it's it's it has like all the weird quirks of like what you'd expect with a saw game like kawazu has a very specific type of humor and it's very out there like for example um urbana's storyline like early on she has the ability to you know uh, learn dual wielding how do you learn this dual wielding it's like in the most bonkers side quest like just just like ever it's like kind of out of the main beaten path you kind of Ceylon over to another portion of the map with all its own different uh, towns and whatnot. And to, to me, it was like, I was kind of like meandering like aimlessly, kind of like 
trying to figure out how do I learn this thing, and it kind of it kind of came to me on my lap in the most like out of left field uh, thing ever. But it made me like really laugh. It's like, oh, this is so so I, so adorably dumb and and great. Just so to kind of bounce, no, just to kind of bounce off your idea. I have, I'm pretty sure I'm farther than you, I think, and I have no idea what you're talking about. Like, I playing, and I also, <laughs> I'm pl- also playing right, as Urpina, so... and I might have, I might have taken a completely different path. Um, yeah. And so I, I, like I should also mention town. that, I should also mention really quick, the battle system is fantastic. Like, oh yeah, battle that, system. That basically is the whole, like, the, the structure is kind of the interesting novel part. But the battle system is kind of this this rock solid anchor that's kind of holding everything together. I'm going to say something right now. I think the battle system is my favorite turn based battle system of all time. It's definitely up there for me. It's definitely up there for me. I and just to give a very brief overview, not to get into too into the weeds of how the battle system like ins and outs. Basically, imagine a timeline of of your uh, character's actions and the enemy's actions. They're all interspersed depending on uh, speed stats and whatnot. So like you have like uh, like three characters. Uh, taking uh, actions in a row, and then you might have like a enemy, enemy, character, enemy. And let's say, for example, like um, that you want to try to take out these enemies, and these enemies hit hard uh, very early on, right? So there will be different abilities that could uh, influence the way you, uh, which actions get to, taken on that timeline. Like there will be different um, costs to each of your actions that will manipulate the order of that time initial timeline and then it, if by some chance you're able to link up uh your characters together say like you have an a character uh, action uh, turn enemy turn and then character turn if you take out that enemy in the middle uh it'll link up those two characters together and they'll do a unity attack and that'll you know uh it not only will it uh have them uh, attack together for like kind of like free attacks but also uh lessen the the cost of your skills uh, in the next turn and whatnot, but what's very interesting about this is that that'll that same rule applies to enemies as well. So if you take out an enemy that still links up two enemies together on top of that, they still have a they have a free turn against you uh, right away because you took out that enemy and you you, you didn't think ahead about um well like your your actions and that's so that's so and, interesting. That's and like another thing I do want to mention about that uh-huh. is that. I think one of the traps that a lot of RPGs that have that sort of timeline system falls into is it's always advantageous to go first. Right. Race, it isn't always the best to go first. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's better to position yourself behind an enemy so you can get that united attack or you can interrupt something or you can counter something. And it is just... It feels less like trying to go first and more like trying to control the flow of the battle. Yeah. And I don't think there's any other RPG that nails that feeling as well as it does. Yeah, I was actually yeah. kind of like Josh basically went into the weeds in terms of describing the actual mechanic, and James kind of stepped back and just like how does how does this actually feel? And just the way that it's set up, and James was basically getting at this. It's very dynamic, where like every turn in most RPGs, you basically just want to deal the most damage as quickly as possible, probably to the enemy with the least amount of health left, right? Um, that's what you do to win in almost every other turn-based RPG. Deal damage to the lowest health enemy as fast as you can. But here, it's really more like this dynamic, careful decision-making of who moves when and does what ability to what enemy to basically ma- ma- manage the timeline in my favor. And also, the BP system comes into play 
where you're, that's your resource management in terms of um, you have to carefully choose, pick and choose what you're doing. And it's just a very, very cool system. And we haven't even gotten into the actual like stat progression system, yeah, which is uh, still very yeah. saga and very One addicting. Thing- I do want to say about the BP system and attacks because I don't think either of you have gone far enough to actually reach this, this kind of wrinkle in the battle system. There are some techs that have such a high BP cost that legitimately you can't use them on a turn unless you have a discount. So that's something else you also want to consider because it's like, okay, do I want to set up like there's this one enemy, like maybe there's a boss I want to take out first, but what if I kind of let this turn be a wash get a united attack out so i can get this super powerful tech out next turn yeah it's, it's also one of those uh things where um just a care like you account for a character falling in battle like that's something you don't really do much in rpgs because you don't want to you, you don't want to lose characters in, in battle in in scarlet grace like you can tactically put that into your advantage it's like okay i'm gonna have yeah. this character like you know t- tank this hit i want them to to purposely provoke this um enemy so it targets them even though they're low on health but i know that their their turn if they take if they, if they're knocked out and the and that enemy kills them because they're in between two characters i can get a unity attack this turn because their sacrifice for me let, let, let me win this battle and that's fucking fascinating yeah and there's all on top of like you know different formations you can get and how those those different formations this is like uh, one of those few RPGs where status effects actually matter and are useful. Also, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating game. Also, you can pretty much. Build so this is a game. bit of a splash of of cold water, but so this is clearly in the top five. Yes. Should we try to knock out others from the top ten? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Let's, I was let's just thinking. Uh, let's right. come back. You're right. But also, you can You're build right. your characters. So I was just thinking the, the last two. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> So the this has been. I just want to say this. That's that was just fascinating to listen to. Like that's why I just shut up. I was just like, man. <laughs> maybe, maybe I was, uh, you know, re- uh, tapping. No, I mean, no, no, no. That makes sense. It. Like, I think it's clear that this is going to be discussed for maybe the top spot. So let's focus on what else would go in the top five first. All right. Well, what I was looking at was that the last two to be added to the top ten judgment. And Kingdom Hearts three, are those kind of clearly outside of the top five? Yeah, I would say so, and I would say, I would say Iceborne has got to be in the top five. I'm just going to say, a real I achievement. Think, I think Outer World should be bottom five. I feel that it is a little bit safe and a little bit narrow in scope. Not necessarily. I mean, it feels like it was kind of designed that way going from like a relatively you know new ip it didn't seem to be like a full budget like big big game at first um but i do think it does falter a little bit in its scope um well, and quest well, design in relation to that let me put it out there maybe the final two should be iceborne and dragon quest builders i agree with that because builders is just incredible yeah like oh, I, I, well, I, what I'm finally getting to it because, like, well, by the time this goes live, my PC review for Builders Two should be up. But as of right now, I just finished up the first island. I really like the changes it's made to the formula. I really like the changes in the scope. It's it it's really good. It's like I wouldn't say it's a perfect sequel, but it does a lot to really fix the flaws of the first game, which was already a really fantastic spin. And that's why it bugs me out that the head of that game went, like uh, departed Square Enix and went to go make a studio for Type Moon. 
Ah, life isn't fair. But Builders 2, hell of a game. Hell of a game. Even though I haven't played it, when I look at Shadowbringers in that sixth, quote-unquote, they're not ranked, but in that just out of the top five slot, like a lot of people feel really strongly about that game and that expansion. Are are we okay keeping it out of the top five? I'm interested. I don't know why I'm poking this hive, but... I yeah. think it's either down to Iceborne or Shadowbringers. I think, for me, and again, I haven't, I haven't played Shadowbringers. This isn't fair, I know. I think the reason Iceborne deserves to spawn the top five over Shadowbringers is that Final Fantasy XIV was already in a really, really good place. And yes, Monster World was already in a good place, but Shadowbringers, I get the impression, adds to what Final Fantasy XIV already had, whereas Iceborne kind of fixes some of the shortcomings that the base game Monster Hunter World had and adds on it. So wasn't wasn't Epic was, Fourteen like a weird place at Stormblood? Like I, I, like people didn't seem so hot on Stormblood coming into, and then Shadowbringers thankfully was seems to be a fantastic expansion. But I, I just kind of uh, I'm curious because I I thought Shadowbringers was uh, I think kind of... for me one of the things I really want to consider with Monster Hunter World Iceborne is that. It is legitimately the largest expansion that the series has ever seen. And mm-hmm. this is a series that's had plenty of expansions. Like, yes. It's honestly astonishing how much content they managed to stuff into this. And it is so, so good. All right. All right. I'm, I'm pretty much convinced. I haven't played either game, but you've. I love Iceborne. It's great. Length, yeah. but... <laughs> All right. There you go. Okay. There's a lot of passion. For it, so I, I personally haven't played, got around to playing it yet, but you guys seem pretty set on it, so I'd agree. Yeah. So are we good with this uh, uh, lower five and upper five? I might regret this once I finally get the Shadowbringers, but oh well. <laughs> uh, I, I think, I think, I think that's good. Okay, so for our lower five, unranked. Uh, these, these aren't ranked, but they're all tremendous games. We call them the runners up. Officially, yeah, they're they're all fantastic and they're all, all, all for a lot of reasons. But in our lower five, we have Final Fantasy XIV Shadowbringers, The Outer Worlds, Judgment, Kingdom Hearts Three, and Ring Fit Adventure. And now, what we're going to be discussing is what is truly our the site's top game of the year out of these upper five, all unranked. But there is a winner out of these, out of Fire Emblem Three Houses, Disco Elysium. Saga Scarlet Grace Ambitions, Dragon Quest Builders 2, and Monster Hunter World Iceborne. So what wins it? What? Oof, this, this is going to be tough. That's all I'm going to is... say. I... I feel like I'll poke the dragon and say Disco Elysium was very positively talked about earlier. Um, that seemed like the front runner for me. Okay, uh, so let me let me bring up. I reviewed Disco Elysium, and let me bring up some of the things I wasn't so much of a fan of. I mean, obviously the game is very very good, but now is the time where we have to start bringing in the things that might have been right. could have been better. Uh, so Disco Elysium, this is partially just the the, the, the scope and design of the game, but I, I do feel like it is lacking a little bit in terms of like 
your choice and consequence actually affecting kind of where the story and the, where the uh, where the, uh, the, uh, the the case you're trying to solve goes. It, no, even though you can build your character in a variety of ways and kind of approach things from different angles, it pretty it kind of it's kind of chokeholded in various places where you kind of have to follow the same general path to, as you solve the case um, throughout the week that you're on this in this little city area, and so it kind of there are points there are parts of it where you can kind of feel is like okay I, I need to solve this problem now now I need to solve this part of the case and this part of the case. And it, it is a little bit um, streamlined in a sense where you, you're going from start to finish. And I kind of wish there was maybe a little bit more open-endedness there. But I also know that's not quite fair being kind of this indie small game. You can't expect too much from that. So um, I, I, I do. I also played it. I do kind of agree that you have a lot of choices throughout the game, but you do end up kind of funneled at the end to a certain style of outcome. I can see that. Yeah. I, How do we feel about Dragon Quest Builders 2? I mean, obviously it's a great game. That's why it's in the top five. I think that but is Are we the really bottom. going to knock off... Like, right, out of these five, think, that's the one that's not going to be number one. Yeah, I think that's the bottom of this five, which is a hell of a position anyway. But yeah, I think that's the bottom of this five. I think it's a battle between the four above. Yeah. Hmm. I think I as much as I love it, should not be number one. One, because we gave the base game, Game of the Year, last time. And two, it's an expansion. Okay, um, let me maybe bring up an elephant in the room. Uh, I have played all of Fire Emblem Three Houses, like all four paths. Has anyone else here played all four paths? I have played two, but not four. <laughs> I've played three. Three. Okay, so my biggest criticism on Fire Emblem Three Houses, kind of similar to Disco Elysium here, like the one thing I wasn't so much a fan of, Brian brought up earlier that the world building is really great. It does it so much better than the 3DS games do. Like, I don't even remember what, like, the continent that the 3DS games were set on. Like, it doesn't matter. It sucked. Um, I think the world building in Fire Emblem Three Houses is great. I think the characters, for being Fire Emblem characters and having a relatively large cast that you can't put too much focus on any single one, are generally great. I do think the actual sequence of events that happens, like the, the plot line, the through line, like what happens first, what happens second, what happens third, is kind of not so great. Uh, now, th this gets a little bit into spoilers, but it kind of just is like the result of one character's rash actions and kind of the fallout from that. And then it's just kind of an, an excuse to have battle after battle until you reach a conclusion. And I just kind of feel like it makes a lot of um, kind of slightly unbelievable plot like conveniences to basically have these battles happen. And it just kind of just to fit the fact that it is a video game and you have to have these battles. It just it's not that that's, that's the one part of the game that I'm not super sold on. And also the fact that there are some loose ends that are very likely going to be considered in the DLC that's coming up that kind of don't ever get explained and right now are just kind of these weird elements in the game that aren't followed up on and just kind of like, what was that all about? And it, so far, it's, it's it's either a plot hole or something they haven't addressed yet. So it's a little bit weird. It is definitely... Yeah. Like, there is something you said about just being the most ambitious Fire Emblem game ever. Um, 
I agree with what what you said, but it's just I I think I don't know. I just I'm it's one of those things that maybe we're expecting too much of the world out of this game. I don't I don't feel well. like we should hold it too much it against it that it's a game and has to have chapters that are battles. You know what I mean? Like I understand yeah. where you're coming from, but I feel yeah. it feels like uh, I don't know. There, 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 there's, there's a plateau. There is a plateau of progression in that game. Like once you get like your uh, teacher's rank all the way up, like it feels like none of the, none of your progression like starts to matter. You're just trying to like kind of. There's a point in that game where you're trying to pass the time just to pass the time, so you can get to the next plot beat because you've already topped out on like whatever you needed to do. Well, I should also mention perhaps yes. that when I reviewed the game, I gave it an eight. And the other thing I criticized was I thought it was a little bit too breezy at times, even on hard mode near the end, kind yeah. of like what you mentioned. Oh, yeah. And I actually did raise it to a 9 after the uh, the lunatic mode or whatever it's called now, maddening. And maddening mode, to be quite fair, isn't really like a well-balanced hard mode. It's more of like a punch-you-in-the-face unfairly hard mode. It, it's one of those things that like it has to account that you that it, it, it added this neat feature in the game of like letting you turn back time to any fucking turn. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like that... this, this is as hard as it has to be if you can have 12 redos and you can level up weapon stats out of battle. You know what I mean? Like, so this is how hard it has to be to feel any difficulty. Yeah. But, but what I'm getting at is like, I actually really did appreciate that free add-on and I yes. did actually bump my, my score to a 9 because then it was like, I was like, yes, this actually feels like I have to be like really super thoughtful and strategic in how I'm approaching my battle here and um, you have to really, one thing I criticized in my review was like things like gambits felt kind of unnecessary and things like that. They are not unnecessary unmaddening. You need cool. gambits. Mm-hmm. Like you absolutely need them. You need to train them up. You need to appropriate them smartly. Um, and you need to put them on the right people in the right positions. And like that side of stuff was I like, yes, it. I love this. So. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's just. It, it it is a great game, undeniably for sure. But it's a, it's it's it's, amb- it's, it's very a, it's very good. It's ambitious, but it falters in that ambition in parts of it. Yeah, basically. Whereas it feels, it feels to me like the other two that are in this sort of top three, it it, it seems like that they have less of those those falters, right? Less well, of those yeah. tiny little stumbles. I, I like for the. For my Fire Emblem criticism, I could get into spoilers if I want to, like it's because they are it is story stuff that I'm kinda annoyed annoyed with. But like for example, Disco Elysium and Saga Scarlet Grace, kind of like opposites here. Like Disco Elysium does not have much in the way of mechanics, because it's all dialogue. Like the entire game is basically an adventure dialogue RPG. And Saga Scarlet Grace, it has like dialogue and storylines, but it's not what you normally see in an RPG. It's very the storyline. The storyline Scarlet Grace is not its strength. Yeah, it's well, well. I don't even. I don't even. I wouldn't even consider it a weakness. It's just like a totally different focus. Yeah, yeah. it's like yeah. there is a story, and you can actually, if you if you look around, you can figure out how the world has evolved, and I actually really enjoy that. But it's not in your face. If you want yeah. to see the story, you have to look for it. So it's I very. It's very much like you're really set in a world. Enjoy. Sorry. Uh, like one of the things I really do enjoy is how they contextualize. Like, for example, well, this is kind of a spoiler. Uh, Go for it. It's already uh, said spoiler when he's so at the top. The final boss has three phases, and at total, he revives seven times with his health bar. 
there's actually a justification for that in the story because like one of the mythos of the uh, the world as a whole and the gods is that the firebringer who used to be a god was cast away but was basically given a contract where he could come back um once every seven thousand years but he rewrote it to say he could come back seven times every thousand years. i i should mention so this is the type of storytelling that i actually really appreciate and where i am in the game like i i've heard bits and pieces about the firebringer and about like the battles he was in and there's like one wall i ran into where where one of the defensive lines that fought the firebringer was and things like that so it's something you sort of have to find and then kind of put the pieces well, first of mm-hmm. all grab the pieces and then you put them together later unlike most rpgs where like some character will just blab it to you at some point um in a cutscene. so but yeah it's like even the fact that that like little bit like that little gameplay portion of the final boss battle actually does have a justification and an explanation in the story. It's like, yeah, I understand that Scarlet Grace's story isn't its strong point per se, but I do think that what it does with its world building and the bits of narrative that you can find in it is actually really cool. Hmm. And this is tough. <laughs> Like I, I'm just this this is this goes without saying, but having played two of these, Fire Emblem and Disco Elysium, and having heard so much about Saga, like I do not really, I don't cringe, I don't flinch if any one of these three wins is end up on top of the other two. Between the two that yeah. I've played, Fire Emblem and Disco, I'm going to say between those two, I'm going to pick Fire Emblem. Like wow, huh. and then Saga, I guess, I guess it just depends on. The other arguments for it. Well, now like I the arguments you made. Are- now I kind of have to play like self devil's advocate here. The thing about Saga is, I do think we're talking, I guess, broadly about appeal. It has a very, I think, maybe. I mean, I love it, and it is my favorite game of the year, no question, like no hesitation. I haven't even beaten it yet, which is maybe unfair, but um, it. I think its appeal isn't quite as broad. You ha- maybe have to like, you have to appeal. It has. It has to like appeal to a very specific type of a player if it to like it where maybe fire emblem well i don't know i don't i, I don't know really know i'm getting going, going with this argument maybe that this Adam, saga, if, if, saga if I'm is, a, a, is a more niche not, appeal than the other two maybe if i'm not a mechanics nerd if i just love rpgs because of stories i love characters hypothetically would i like saga absolutely not <laughs> <laughs> You're a sane person because a lot of because because, because a lot of people <laughs> like that's why they go to RPGs for, for worlds and stories and characters the and then the gameplay is just kind of right. I mean, this is this is go RPG ahead. sites game of the year, not not typical RPG. Yeah, that, 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 what I'm getting at is is like the appeal of these games is different, and I'm not sure how we factor that in if we factor that in. Like, I'm imagining. If we if we publish an article that says Fire Emblem is our game of the year or Disco Elysium is our game of the year, I think people will be like, yeah, yeah, those games are really good. But like Saga, I do think people are gonna might be like what you got with your review, James, where you're just like, what the heck is this game? It might be kind of. Uh... <laughs> yeah, but that's you know. There was like one comment, and like I'm looking around everywhere, and it's like the people who are actually playing Scarlet Grace, the majority of them are absolutely loving it. 
that is what I've noticed is that in response to your review and stuff, anytime there was a comment from anyone who was actually playing it, everyone was like, yeah, I absolutely agree. Mm-hmm. That, so, that's, it, it feels unified to the people that actually like give it a shot and like see it like we're not gonna say hey this is like gonna be every rpg players like cream of the crop like stellar rpg experience or whatever like we, can, we can't blanketly say that because there it appeals to people who give it a shot and see if it drives with them like every every person who gives it a shot like, you know, some people may not like it, but the, for, for the people it really speaks to, it's like, it, it feels unified in that sense. Like, remember that uh, comment of, like, how the Fire Emblem 3 Houses kind of unifies the, the spam bases of uh, previous Fire Emblem games. Saga is kind of, like, unifying people who actually, like, give it a real shot. Like, I think the thing with me, looking at these three games, all of them are fantastic. Everyone should play every single one of them. Disco Elysium... It does do some things differently, but it feels like, from what I've read, that it's very much similar to something like Planescape, um, Planescape Torment. Whereas Fire Emblem Three Houses, it's like, it's a fantastic Fire Emblem game. It changes a lot, but it what it does, other games have done similarly in the past. Like, the whole teacher mechanic is basically just, like... Hell, even Trails of Cold Steel has done it with Cold Steel 3, which came out before it. But um, Scarlet Grace, even if it's like another Saga game, the things that it does, legitimately no other games have done. The battle system is, while it does have some similarities to like other games with timeline systems in the past, the way it uses the timeline is completely unique. It is... There's nothing else like it. The way the world map ties into the experience of actually role-playing and actually having each playthrough be unique and your own, I don't think any other game has managed to do something quite the same. Yeah, I mean, Scarlet Grace, like, even more so than past Saga games, you can tell a pretty awesome, like, like tale of like what you've been through in that game and that'll match like almost no one's tale it's like i went through this 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 you went through what <laughs> it's like this game's wild man <laughs> oh man so for, how, about, how about let's do it this way to to knock out something the people that have played disco elysium if we say that it's a very strong runner-up but not a winner is anyone I- going to fight against that so I've played all As three of these games. I'm going to say no. I've played all three played of all these games, games, and yeah. Saga is my winner. Like like I said, no hesitation. You might say my argument is weak because I actually haven't finished Saga Scarlet Grace yet. Um, but, I mean, that game is just... I, I definitely have played enough of it, I feel, to like know what it's doing. Also, yeah, Scarlet Grace and everything, it's similar to Fire Emblem, where there's like it's a meaty game on your first playthrough and there's a lot that can change on repeat playthroughs just because of the structure of the characters, the way they interact with the same events can be different. And it's just, it's huge. Like completing everything is going to take you well over a hundred hours, similar to Fire Emblem. I'm with Adam here that I've played all three of these games. And if I were to pick a top one, I would probably pick Scarlet Grace out of all of them. And Fire Emblem as like a close to. I think the funny thing is in the last couple of years 
this final choice has been has been quite a bit um quite simple most 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 recent years been hard to get to this point but the final choice has been quite straightforward most years the fact that this debate is so hot i think speaks to the quality of all three of these games uh, well, last year we had a tough final two, but this is the yeah. first time we've had a tough final five and three. I think last year the main thing that tripped us up was like it's either Monster Hunter or Dragon Quest. Is Monster Hunter an RPG? I think that's what kind of we end up <laughs> debating. Like the most classic prototypical RPG versus technically barely an RPG adjacent game. That's <laughs> damage numbers, the, man. The second thing. Uh, yeah. I wish I had more of strong, robust input here, but having not played Saga, I just I feel like I can't contribute much. I think Fire Emblem is definitely deserving. I guess I'll say that. I think this Legion just got its got its prop on um, storytelling, on combination storytelling. Like it's yeah. it's tremendous. It's it's such a smartly written game. But I feel like... a bit not have it, having not played Disco Elysium. Uh... I can't really give it the vote, uh, but I have played Fire Emblem and I did really enjoy Fire Emblem. Um, so that would be my vote. Well, All right. Well, so comes down to this. I, I, I would put Saga first, like no hesitation. Yeah. James, you played uh, at least part of all three of these games. Maybe not finished them, but. Uh, I still need to play Disco Elysium, but I have played, well, obviously I beat um, Scarlet Grace, and I have played a decent chunk of uh, Fire Emblem. Well, I think Disco Elysium's kind of out. It's clearly kind of if, if Fire Emblem and Saga are one A and one B, then Disco is is two or three. It's clearly out. It's it's very close, but out. Yeah, I. God, I mean, my gut is Fire Emblem, but obviously I haven't had much time with Saga yet. But also. Having listened to the way that you guys spoke about it earlier, I would be one hundred percent happy um, giving giving Saga the top spot because um, clearly, I think the thing is, it's it's what when when one when somebody who writes for this website of all places says that it's like legitimately one of the best battle systems that's been released in in a long time, if not ever that turns my head. Whereas I don't think I could say that about Fire Emblem. There's a lot of things about Fire Emblem I love. And Fire Emblem is almost more than the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't say any particular piece of Fire Emblem is like, apart from, as previously discussed, the way the, the story intertwines. But even then, Adam touched on earlier, that it's not quite what you would want 100% either there. Uh, James and Adam, if I were to say... Let's say I'm an opinionated website commenter and I try Saga and I say, I don't jive with this. I don't, I want more than battles. I want more than one or two interesting ideas. I I want, I want a world. I want something that really takes me away into like a a strong bespoke written story. And this game isn't giving it to me. What, what is your reply? I'm I'm trying to play devil's advocate here. I I think, um, one of the, the argument that comes into play here is just what the game does that is new and saga is such like a novel structure that you you pretty much have to play this specific game to know what it's like it's hard to compare to any other game um 
whereas like Fire Emblem is clearly the most, um, what's the word? It's it's clearly the biggest Fire Emblem game. Uh, it's clearly the most uh, ambitious in terms of its routing path and things like that. But I don't think it quite has the same level of unique novelty. Like the battles generally play like other Fire Emblem games, and this, the route structure is pretty similar to what you might find in a visual novel. Um, so I think that kind of comes into play when you're talking about like uh, the top spot here, like the novelty of Scarlet Grace. In a way, it's almost this does rhyme a little bit with last year's discussion, where it's like we're talking about what what Monster Hunter World brought to the table compared to Dragon Quest, which was more of a a polishing of what came before it. Yeah, I was about to say, like, it's Monster not quite Hunter the same World, discussion. I'd argue that Monster Hunter World has less of a prevalent story than Saga does. Yeah, <laughs> you're actually right. I agree, I agree with that. I, what I, I will say about Saga is it is much like how we gave Game of the Year to Nier Automata several years ago. Saga Scarlet Grace is the ultimate culmination of Kowazu's vision, like in a video game. It is such a distinct, like every part of it is you can just, you can see that like this is exactly the type of game that Kawazu likes to make. This is the type of unconventionalness, the type of weirdness. Yet, and you can see that it, it you can clearly see every aspect of it was done on a budget, and to see it, every single part of that limited, like resources given to refine every single aspect of the of that game to like finely tune it to its strengths and only its strengths and will discard anything that's trying not to be that is a testament of very very smart design focused game design and it's it it drips in every single aspect of that game and it's miraculous that it came together so well the way it did. Grace, the way I describe it is a game that had a very, very specific vision and executes on it damn near perfectly. Mm-hmm. I I feel like there's a there's a there's a feeling emerging here. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I feel I feel like yeah, we're we're pushing that way. So my last comment, I guess, will be that uh, if if we were bold enough to pick the RPG adjacent game over the prototypical RPG last year based on the strength of the experience and what it brought to the table for this year. You guys feel so strongly about this that I am, I, as someone who's only played Fire Emblem and not Saga, I am okay slotting it number two. I guess I'm yeah. acquiescing. Is that the word? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> I have to say, hearing all this discussion about it, I actually like really want to play it, which it means something this game they should really do, shouldn't it? I guess I should maybe just point out that the three of us here who have played Saga are the ones fighting for it. And so, like, everyone who has played it is fighting for it, in a way. But all three of you that have played Saga have also played Fire Emblem. So it's not like we're completely divorced on, you know, two two camps. You guys, you guys, have, you guys have the perspective between the two, and you're still picking Saga, despite that. I think the last thing I want to say about Fire Emblem is it didn't come out this year, but I finally got to Utawada to Mona this year. And I think that as strictly a tactical RPG, that Utawada to Mono is a better tactical RPG than Fire Emblem. That's a, that's a curveball. Wow. <laughs> play play Fire Emblem on, on managing mode and come back to me. Yeah. <laughs> 
I should actually do a maddening playthrough. I, I, I did some of it, and I was like, oh, fuck, I'm not it, ready for this right now. It, it has a really high starting curve. You kind of have to get, like... It does. You have to brute force your way past, like, the first three levels, and then it eventually uh, slowly lightens up. The, like, the first, like, festival of, like, all three factions fighting against each other is, like, fucking brutal and maddening, dude. I'm like, oh, my God, how the fuck? And then, you yeah. have, then you have all those guys with pass-through that can just, like... You can't you can't protect your your clerics. Well, well, just like, yeah, they're just gonna uh, fire emblem is legitimately like you know you really do have to strategize in maddening. But I yeah, think the I think... thing the, the main thing I can say out of this is is these conversations have left me like knowing that over the holidays I'm gonna replay Three Houses on maddening and do the route that I haven't done yet, and I'm obviously gonna pour a shed load of time into Scarlet Grace, which and this is just it's just off what you guys have said like you've you've reignited my uh you've reignited my interest to return to fire emblem when i didn't think i probably would for many years and now i'm probably going to do it like next week so that says something mm-hmm. and likewise for my desire i knew i wanted to play more scarlet grace but now i'm like well pumped to do it and it's- it was a uh... Fantastic year for RPGs. So it can't be stated. I, I have it yeah. installed, and I now I'm like, all right, time to time to start putting it off. Probably this evening, I'm going to put time into it. So if we thought it was hard deciding that, I can't wait to see how hard it is to decide between Fun Fantasy and Cyberpunk next year. <laughs> oh. That's going to be good. <laughs> oh, well, you know, yeah. I think there's probably launch titles for like next gen. We don't know what's going to be there. There's a I, you know, I would Horizon Two or something. I would not be surprised if this time next year we're discussing Fable. To be honest, Ooh, really? Ooh, jeez. Well, it's it's no it's no secret that's that it's leaked over and over again that um that the the the, the guys who did the Forza Horizon oh, games yeah. have been working on a role playing game for for Microsoft, and yeah, it's totally going to be Fable, isn't it? So that could be a launch game. Who knows? Yeah, Horizon oh, Two seems like a fairly good bet for a launch game. So, so to rein this in a bit, since since we're jumping to what we're looking forward to in twelve months, is the decision made? Is the RPG site two thousand nineteen RPG of the year saga Scarlet Grace ambitions? I think so. I'm all for it based on the. Yeah, I think so. Time. Yeah, sounds we're good. Fucking insane! This this is fucking. Crazy. <laughs> what the fuck? I'm 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 ready for a bunch of bewildered. <laughs> yeah, what the heck is this? And then obviously, <laughs> yeah. We're Obviously fucking insane. Be... Where's Cold Steel Three? <laughs> oh no, I I'm very surprised. I'm super surprised. I'm... But I look at that top ten and I'm very very happy with it. Like yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. The Outer Worlds is in there. Ring Fit is in there. there. And for what it's worth, um, I have to go through and um, fix people who are like clearly gaming the system. But for the reader vote, the top two games are Fire Emblem and Cold Steel Three. Um, so they, they, we can always just kind of, you know, we, that'll be included as part of the end of the year stuff. Like, hey, you guys voted Fire Emblem, so if you don't like what we chose, at least you chose what you like. Um, yeah. and also like Cold it's Steel sort 3. of like when we when we didn't pick Persona, the readers did. So you know, yeah, was that the same year as uh, as Near? Was that yeah? Was that a year yeah. apart? Yes. Oh, okay. Oh, uh, okay. All right, so to just recap our lower five for RPG sites uh, game of the year right now, uh, the lower five are Final Fantasy XIV Shadowbringers, The Outer Worlds, Judgment, Kingdom Hearts 3, and Ring Fit Adventure. For the upper five, we have Fire Emblem Three Houses, Disco Elysium, 
Saga Scar the Great's Ambitions, Monarch of World Iceborne, Dragon Quest Builders 2, and the one emerging as a winner for RPG Sites 2019 RPG of the Year is Saga Scar the Great's Ambitions. Congratulations. Wow. It is. You guys, well are, you guys are whack. Man. And just to think, it, just a little bit of context. Originally, we were going to record this podcast a week ago. We're recording this on, it's the 15th, right? Yes, it is December 15th. We were, we were planning to record this on December 14th, but because of a catastrophic failure in Discord. Or the 7th. Last Saturday. Oh, yeah, yeah, my bad. December 7th was our um, original recording date. Now it's December 15th. We rescheduled it there because Discord was down for a few hours. We couldn't record because no, there's no time left. Literally went down. Uh, can we appreciate yes. that Scarlet Grace probably wouldn't have even been in the top 10 if it hadn't been delayed? I think it could have made top 10. I had played enough of it last time. Like, wow, I really, really like this. <laughs> Yeah, and then but that extra week it wouldn't it, have won. It, it, that, yeah, that extra week probably did wonders because I've I put in a, a lot more time in Scarlet Grace uh, during this last week and I finished it. Blows me away. Blows me and away. then as as a site, our staff kind of this was like the last possible time we could have done this. So very auspicious set of circumstances that allowed this result to to occur. Yeah, well, you know, I always like I like to think. In the end, the right thing outs. There's a, you know, not to be too kooky about it, but I suppose we were supposed to not be able to record. All right. Well, that wraps it up. Any any closing thoughts? Uh, no, just you know, for the people who are listening, thank you uh, so much for all your support for the site over the last year. It's been a a really awesome year for us we've managed to do some really really cool stuff and yeah i'm incredibly pumped for next year because we're going to do even more cool stuff because we've got some ridiculous rpgs just for the first three months of the year so hopefully there's a lot hopefully we get some nice rpg launch games because you don't tend to get rpgs on launch but hopefully fingers crossed all right uh thank you alex donaldson thank you george foster thank you adam vitali Thank you, Brian Vitale. Thank you, James Galizio. I have been your host for RPG Sites 2019 Game of the Year, Josh Torres. Thank you, Josh. Uh, and thank you, Josh. Oh, yeah. No thank you, Josh. Thank you, everyone. Yeah. And we'll see you next year in the madness. The madness of 2020. Maybe we'll, Maybe next time we'll be doing, I don't know, maybe next thing on this feed will be something Final Fantasy VII related. We'll see if we can do something special for that or Cyberpunk. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Exciting. We'll have other holiday features uh, going up, you know, around uh, this uh, time this goes up. So to everyone out there listening, thank you so much for reading, for listening to this. Uh, just thank you for all all your support, and uh, we can't we can't be, you know, can't thank you enough. Um, and you have a safe, happy holidays, um, and I hope you enjoyed our deliberations for RPG Sites 2019 Game of the Year. Thank you. Hopefully, you're not too mad at us. <laughs> 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 Whoever's editing can decide whether that's true.